Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. And welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Do you guys like that new awesome intro yeah. music that we have? Yeah. So we made that ourselves. I mean, we do the cover songs and we're like, we don't want to try and find stock music right. or, God forbid, pay people yeah. <laughs> to use their music. Yeah. So we're just like, we can play instruments. Let's just make our own. Right. And... Honestly, the way that we made that is I just did some random drum tracks, and I had no idea what it was going to sound like after that. Yeah. Because Grant just did I, everything else afterward. I almost left it just the drums. I was really close to leaving it just the huh. drums. Because the drums on their own were really good. Oh. I almost didn't want to ruin it, but I'm like, you know, I could add something. So. Yeah, well, um, it uh, it sounded pretty great. and I intentionally tried to add something that would be a little more funky, for, yeah. which you guys will hear in the uh, when we take our commercial breaks. It's not yeah. just going to be awkward silence, commercial awkward silence. Yeah, we're yeah. we're working hard to make this a more smooth cinematic uh, venture for you guys. Right. So hopefully you guys liked that, and probably just you know as time goes on we'll get bored with it and make some more and just to keep things fresh. And you may or may not hear a difference. But we now have a new mic set up for recording, so... We each have our own yes, microphone now. In, instead of just uh, talking into the same condenser mic. Uh, so that was just me deciding it's finally time to set that up. And uh, hopefully it sounds good to you guys. I get to lean so. back in my seat now, which is great. Yeah, instead of speaking into the... Yeah. Having to lean forward and... <laughs> yeah, I have it... Uh, I'm, I'm slouched back in this chair now. I'm so comfy. Mic right in my face. And you can all hear all the consonants, too, now. So mm, con- I love those consonants. A lot of uh, syllabants and presents in the mic. <laughs> so, Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see or hear how this sounds. Me, so we, me too. I have no idea. Yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so just we're continuing to evolve the show. We're constantly trying to come up with new ideas. We've got another big change this week and a big yeah. change next week so this yeah. is the season of changes yeah so um yeah the new one being that we are now doing two cover songs per episode for this episode and every episode in the future yes so uh one of them is still going to be on youtube and um one of them is going to be exclusively for our patrons Yes. And so now that I feel like between that and us now being able to put episodes out early, because a big thing about that was getting all of that music yeah. uh, squared away, so it's not just weird stops and pauses without commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we feel like you guys can listen and listen to it ad-free. Yeah. So um, the way that you can get access to all of this new shiny stuff is to go hit the uh, link in the episode description 
That takes us you, takes you to our Patreon page. We've got two different tiers you can subscribe to. One is a $3 a month tier, which will allow you to listen to episodes before anyone else. But if you do the $5 a month tier, not only will you get that, but you will get to hear that extra bonus song. Cover yes. song. Not bonus song. Cover it, well, song. It's bonus it to is kind of. Kind it of is a bonus, bonus. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and we're going to do that for every week. And yes. then the other big change that's coming next week is going to be the first episode in our new little spin-off series. Spin-off series. Yeah. Which I'm kind of anxious about a little bit. It's yeah. totally different. Yeah, it's going to so. it's going to be nothing like what we do here. It's going to be kind of us experimenting, testing it out. It might drastically change yeah. from episode to episode as we kind of find the right groove to settle in mm-hmm. but it's definitely not going to go anywhere this is something that i'm committed to doing and i'm really excited about doing i thought you said it wasn't going to go anywhere like in a pessimistic tone like, no as in, like, as in like <laughs> i'm even if it gets like five listens i'm still gonna do it okay because it's, it's just interesting it's something i'm passionate about right and i want to share it with whoever is interested as well wow so uh, <laughs> make sure you tune in next week. And the what we'll do for cover songs in those instances is we're going to go back into old past episodes before yes. we ever did cover songs. And we're going to do songs from those episodes. Right. So that way, you know, we're not just not doing songs for you guys, mm-hmm. especially you patrons that are paying money to have regular content coming in. Mm-hmm. You won't feel like you're gypped. So um, next week, we're actually going to be going back and doing uh, songs from our first ever episode on Queen. Yeah. So one of those will be on YouTube, one will be on Patreon. So that's how that's going to work. Eventually, when we move far enough into the f- the timeline of the history of music to where we can actually, like, you know, do stuff from bands, then, mm-hmm. you know, we'll do cover songs based on that. But right now, when it's like classical music and renaissance music. It's just like, we're not going to recreate that because we can't. Right. Yeah. Especially next episode, it probably has some pretty unique instruments mm-hmm. that yeah. just simply don't exist anymore. So, um, but I'm really excited about that. Kind of see where the conversation goes. Yeah, me too. Because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I've gotten used to this for six months. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this was something to get used to. Uh-huh. But, um, well, um, it's been a little while since we've recorded. We've kind of had some other things pop up here and there. And so a lot yeah. has, lot's happened. Yes. I feel like it's been a really busy news cycle in the music world the last okay. couple of weeks. I'm excited to hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's a mix of good and sad news. I'll, Ooh, okay. I'll start with the sad news first. Okay. So we've been seeing a lot of actors and Hollywood people passing away the last couple of days. A lot of really old Mm. Uh, people like that were in their 90s and hundreds mm-hmm. like Carl Reiner died he was 98 mm. he's from the Ocean's 11 movies mm-hmm. um there was another guy I can't remember his name but he was 102 wow and he was like the first african american artist to have a starring role in british cinema wow and um and some other i th- there's some others i can't think of off the top of my head mm-hmm. um but then we had two fairly big uh, music icons pass away. The first being uh, Ennio Morricone, which I don't know if you know who he is. I do not. He is a legend, and you're actually going to have some uh, connection to this. Okay. Um, he is a big time film scorer. Okay. 
Um, I would say he's top five greatest of all time, up there with John Williams and Hans Zimmer and all those guys. Um, he was 91, so he was very old. And he was mostly famous for doing the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns in the 60s and 70s. Oh, I heard about this. So yeah. doing like, you know, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in the West, and Fistful of Dollars, the Clint Eastwood ones. Yeah. Um, the way that he connects with um, the heavy metal world is that Metallica's walk-up song, The Ecstasy of Gold, right, is from him. written by him. Yeah. It's from the, the movie The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. Which they eventually did a full on yeah they did cover of uh-huh. which isn't as good but no know. but yeah there's a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of people that hear that in Metallica shows and like have no idea what it is right and, but that was that was him he finally won an Oscar a couple of years ago for s- scoring uh, the Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah, I have yet to see that. That's so. a great movie. It's one that I didn't like as much the first time I watched mm-hmm. it, but then when I revisited and kind of didn't have the expectations along with it, right. I enjoyed it more. Okay. But he had been in retirement for like 15 years or wow. something like that, and uh, Quentin convinced him to come out of retirement <laughs> and um, and start scoring again. Mm-hmm. And he finally got that Oscar for it because it was a legitimately great score. I remember listening to it and going, wow, this is great. And then seeing his name pop up in the credits, I was like, oh, my gosh. That would be why, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, because he was like 87 or 86 when he mm-hmm. did that. So, I mean, like, you know, not a young guy. Yeah. And it's great that he was able to get that recognition because that's the best recognition as a film score you can get is to get an Oscar. Right. Because that's what you're doing your medium for. Right. Grammys are cool, you know, mm-hmm. lifetime achievement awards, but the Oscar is what you want to have. Right. And I'm glad that he was able to get that validation yeah. before his death. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then another pretty big icon, not someone that a lot of people from this time era know about, although, again, there's a kind of another reference. Mm-hmm. that people will be able to s- associate with, and it was a old-timey singer named Vera Lynn. <gasps> no! Yep. She was like 102. Wow. And she was known mostly for singing during like the World War II era. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's that song from Pink Floyd's The Wall. Does anyone right. here remember Vera Lynn? Remember how she said, we'll meet again? Mm-hmm. That was one of her songs is... We'll meet again some summer day. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that's not at all how it goes because I don't actually listen to her, but I've heard the song before. Mm-hmm. And um, so she wow. also passed away. But, you know, the good thing is that very old, you know, they, they weren't cut short in the prime right. of their life. Um, they got to have long, successful careers, a lot of right. recognition and admiration from peers and people that they've influenced before. It's just kind of sad to kind of continue to see um, that old guard starting to fade away. Yeah. Oh, and I completely forgot about Charlie Daniels. That was another big one. Really? Wait, okay. That's The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, the singer and the fiddle player. He's the guy he that wrote both. that song. Yeah. I didn't know that. That was like his only like big crossover hit, but that, of course yeah. he's a legend in the the country mm-hmm. scene. But that's the the one song that everyone knows. Knows, yeah, and yeah. I remember listening to that song in like middle school. Mm-hmm. My friend, he was like a big drummer, and he was into like Rush too and whatever. And um, he showed me this song, 
you know, the devil went down Georgia. I'm like, wow, that's some pretty good fiddle playing, but I don't really like the song. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, like, I appreciate it now, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's he, sad. He was also 83, yeah. so again. Long successful. Long successful. Lies. These aren't people that are, mm. you know, being killed or yeah. drug this overdose. Isn't a, this or... isn't 27 Club no. stuff going on. Yeah, so, so they, they have a long legacy to where their music will live on. Yeah. So... Um, on a happier note, and it's actually pretty crazy that this happened the week that the Dream Theater episode came out. Yeah. Um, so John Petrucci had announced that he's doing a solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course people were pretty excited because he hadn't done one since 05. Wow. And that was his only one. Wow. So it's called Terminal Velocity. It's supposed to come out sometime this fall. I don't, I still don't think they've set a specific date yet. Mm-hmm. But the other day, he just casually drops on Twitter or on Instagram that Mike Portnoy is playing drums on the yes. album. Yes. And <laughs> I oh my lost goodness. my mind. No, oh, I can. I, can I was speechless I for a minute. I'm mm-hmm. not exaggerating. Like mm-hmm. I was just looking at it, just like. Uh, uh. See, I don't remember seeing this on any social media platform. Yeah, uh, John Petrucci posted it. Uh, That's he, crazy. It was it was funny. It was so casual because he was just he was listing all the personnel that worked on it, mm-hmm. and just hidden right in the middle is Mike Portnoy drums, and he's not guest appearing or he's like just... he did all the drums on the album. Wow, part of the creative process. Wow, and I he, mean, you can't pick. Well, you can. I'm sure you can pick a better drummer, but you can't not, pick not a better a, drummer for him. No, yeah. So, um, uh, and yesterday yeah. he finally released a picture of both of them in the studio together. Yes. And, oh, it was since so what? 2009? Good. 2009. Their yeah. last album was the, uh, the, um, black clouds and silver black linings. Clouds and silver linings. Mm-hmm. I got to see them on the final tour before he left the band. Wow. Um, and they confirmed that they have not collaborated on anything since then. Wow. This is, you know, he hasn't secretly guested on something. They've not even shared the stage, playing live together. Have they even... Uh, they like, have been keeping up. Okay. I remember I remember two years ago, they posted a picture together celebrating, like, New Year's Eve. Oh, and okay. everyone started freaking out then, going, oh, Dream Theater reunion! And <laughs> and Mike was just like, no, we're just hanging out. Yeah. Well, Mangini's in it now, so it's like... Yeah, and I he, I don't think Mangini's ever going to go anywhere. And he he unless Mangini himself decides yeah. to step away, they're not ever going to kick him out. He's won his place at, at the, Plus, the drum throne. I've been learning a lot lately, especially when I learned about this. Mm-hmm. I did some digging to to see, you know, who Mike Portnoy has mended relationships with because we never really knew who he fell out with. Although now we know. Not maybe necessarily if this was the only person he fell out with, but definitely the only one he's still at odds with. Um, you know, he's played on stage live since with Jordan Rudess. Mm-hmm. He did a couple of years ago or maybe last year. He confirmed actually a couple weeks ago that he still hangs out with John Myung. Oh, no. Obviously, he's now doing this with Pachucci. So it's James Labrie that he cannot. I feel kind of bad now after kind of bashing James Labrie on our Dream Theater episode, which like the more I listen to Dream Theater, the more I realize like 
he earns the spot. He's like no other singer could be Dream Theater singer. He's just the weakest link, but he's not a weak one. But yeah, that's kind of sad. Actually. Yeah, because he confirmed because the new thing now with with coronavirus and the pandemic is everyone's doing this thing called Cameo. Have you heard about this? No. So it's a new social media platform, and what they do is people can send money to a celebrity to have them record like a two minute personal video where they like answer questions that they have. Wow. And in particular, the members of Dream Theater have been doing this a lot. That's Jordan Rudess has been like doing it just about every day, as well as oh, like imagine, people yeah. will say like, <laughs> "Show us how to do the ragtime part from Dance to Eternity." That's what, that's what it was where he flipped his hand over. Yep. <laughs> and um, and then they'll just they'll ask us like, you know, what's what do you, what's the most satisfying song to play, or you know, and it's just they're never more than two minutes long. Uh, but they did one for James Labrie, and they asked him. You know, do you still keep in contact with Mike Portnoy? And he said, I haven't talked to him since he left the band. Wow. I haven't spoken a word. Wow. So we know oh, now man. that all the other bands have mended fences if they the fences were destroyed. I don't know if there are even were some that were always Portnoy side. Mm-hmm. You know, if he really fell out with the whole band or just a couple of members. But there's right. only one. And he even talks and hangs out with Mangini. Right. And then and then at that point is it like is it, you know, one of those things where it's like slash and axel where they like both hate each other or is it like Yeah they I, just have I just disagreements. I, I you think know, that, or I think that it? just their personalities just don't mix well. That's just the the mm. that's the vibe I've always picked up from. I've always felt that really? even when you look back on like when Mike was in the band, you always felt that there was this um, tension between the two of them. Hmm. I think that Mike wished that he was a better singer, and I think that James didn't like the controlling nature that Mike had over the band and their creative direction. Hmm. I mean, I did. Me too. You know, oh, I like. I like. I liked both of those things, but whatever. So, um, but what this does is this now opens the discussion of. Will Portnoy ever have a reunion with Dream Theater? You know, now that because he, of Brie. Well, now that he is doing a full creative project with one of their members, right? So I don't think he'll ever become part of the band again. But something to where like he's able to like come on stage for a song, or mm-hmm. you know have something to do maybe not in a studio perspective but like you know where they can have a live reunion with them because right. bands do that all the time right i mean van halen did that with with david lee roth and and gnr eventually came together and well not again not in the sense of he becomes a member of the band live but like to where they'll bring on a past member for one song guns, oh, and, guns okay. and roses did that for steven adler right okay they let him come on and play like rocket queen or something that's a good song um but you know they're not they but they wouldn't let him be part of the touring uh band right, right. they would just you know and it wasn't even for every show just like a couple of shows on the tour they were like hey steven's going to come up and play this one song or two songs mm-hmm. you know i think it would be really great if portnoy ever did that one more time in his career you know maybe just got up and played metropolis with them or pull me right. under one of the one of the old classics yeah. that he was you know so integral to yeah integral big or, words or integral um so yeah that's 
that's kind of the new conversation that becomes apparent because right. who knows Petrucci has said and because he did an article with Billboard which is where the picture came from and all that just like talking about how there's no one that channels his creative energy as well as Mike Portnoy does so he's even wow. admitting that he still after all this time enjoys playing with Portnoy more than anyone else man poor man genie I mean he's he deserves there's, his spot. There's but there's like, just nothing that can replace you can't playing yeah. with someone in those formative years, especially when you're building a band yeah. together. Yeah. You know, when you when you struggle together and tour together for right. as long as they did and write as much as they did. I mean, right. just even if you get the best drummer in the world, you will never it's, replicate that chemistry yeah. and that that just unspoken magic. It's it's like um our artist today with some of the some of the uh instrumentalists in there and the same reason why people don't really accept um robert trujillo in metallica is because like jason was there for the big explosion yeah but even still there's a lot of people that think that they never did better than cliff no they never did better than cliff but but jason was still on that level in my opinion just he brought the live energy you know still and he made the show into something that was more than just about the music it was about but Cliff was doing that too. If you see videos, he was of him too. Live. He was too, and I'm not denying that. But that's but a, this, Jason also brought that same energy, just from a very different. Angle. And I mean, and Trujillo does as well. He's got his moves, and but he wasn't there during the big explosion with the Black Album yeah, and Justice and Load and Reload. And that's true. That's what I mean. Yeah, and of course, our artists today, same thing. Mm-hmm. So we we can get to that. Yeah, I think this is a good segue <laughs> to move on to the topic of this episode. Which is one of my favorite artists of all time, so we'll have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to try to control ourselves here. Oh my goodness, yeah. So we're talking about Megadeth. Woo! One million deaths. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's been a long time since we've talked about the big four of Thrash. Yeah. It's Our uh, last one was Slayer, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that was back in like October. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's, been a it's, while. it's about time we get back to thrash metal. That means and, Anthrax is next. I'm excited yeah, for anth- that one too. <laughs> Whether Anthrax will actually be next or we do like a Metallica volume two, I don't know oh, yet. Oh, that would be a crime. I don't know. To do three out of four, gotta give Anthrax. Well, something. Anthrax will 100% get their own episode. <sighs> I'm not saying that I'm, I just don't know which one I would do first. Okay. Okay. So, um, but we're talking about Megadeth. Yes, we are. So, let's just so we can kind of streamline the process. I know we have a lot to talk about. Let's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you talk about Dave Mustaine. Yes, and his Metallica problems and the formation of Megadeth. Mm-hmm. So, also, we're going to kind of contain this episode to not go past the 90s okay that's an episode that's what i expected in of itself right so i'm not gonna you know i'll briefly talk about if it's necessary kind of talk about where they are now what they're doing mm-hmm. all that um but we're gonna kind of you know as far as talking in detail we're gonna stick to the first half of their career because that's also where we're pulling all the songs from right um whenever we do an because ep- we will do an episode on the later half of their career because it's really interesting um, we'll get into detail about that. So if you guys are going, oh, you didn't talk about 
system has failed or United Abominate blah, blah, blah. you didn't talk about we will I hope Chris Broderick or oh, Chandra we, we don't have to talk about that <laughs> well we will but we might they're, not have nice once words. again they're great but they're not part of the formative years so it's just a thing so <laughs> so those are the these are the guys we're going to talk about so right. but you know Megadeth is Dave Mustaine let's just get that out of the way and during this time period also Dave Ellefson the bass player yes. but we'll get to that but he's the only member that's been on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that started it. Mm-hmm. The band lives and dies with him. Mm-hmm. When he decides he's done. And it almost did. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. Many, not even several, like many what, times. Thir- 13 times? Yeah. 14 times maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Between um, addiction and overdoses and near-death experiences, yeah. actual death experiences. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, sure mo- multiple satanic rituals were involved arm, in these deaths. Arm paralysis. Yeah. Um, he had like neck surgery. Yeah. Too. Uh, throat cancer. Throat cancer. Yeah, <laughs> which just... that was the most recent one, wasn't it? Yeah. Which he's kicked the crap out of that. I just, so. I've, it's funny seeing memes. It's just like, really? Have haven't hasn't the world figured out that? It's futile to try and kill Dave Mustaine. Yeah, yeah he's just a juggernaut. Like cancer yeah. is like not even the most intense thing he's gone through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're Can- really gonna think cancer this is, is gonna beat him? As bad as it is, like he's been through worse. Uh, but one of the bad things he's been through is his expulsion from Metallica for being such an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm, I'm if sure. you get kicked out of Alcoholica... For, <laughs> for being an alcoholic? Well, here's yeah. the thing. It's not that he drunk too much. Mm-hmm. It's what he who, what he was like when he was drunk. Oh. The other three members of the band have said that when they got drunk, they got silly, they got playful, they just kind of were rowdy boys and just wanted to party. But that right. when Dave got drunk, he got violent and unpredictable. Right. That and he, that's what he says now in interviews is why he kind of stays away from that stuff now. Yep, because it doesn't uh, – it always brings out the worst in him. Right. So let's kind of look at Dave Mustaine's life because – Okay, this is something I've never done, so let's do that, yeah. Because it really frames just kind of his attitude on why he plays metal music in general mm-hmm. and why he had all of the struggles throughout his career. Right. So – um you know, he was in a pretty crazy home environment. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom was always trying to get away from their dad because he was abusive. He was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, they got divorced, but then, like, he would, like, tr- track them wherever they went. Wow. And her, his mom was so scared of him that as soon as she figured out that he knew where they were, it would be the middle of the night, and she'd say, pack up your things. we got to leave now. Wow. And so, like, he was always being moved around, never stayed anywhere for more than a couple months. And so he never was able to, like, fit in anywhere. Uh, He was always the kid that was just, you know, always the new kid, perpetually. And no one ever likes the new kid, especially, you know. Especially in elementary, middle school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a fairly traumatic experience for him. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, he really, from an early age, he was doing drugs and alcohol from, like, age 11 or 12. Like, you know, smoking weed and getting beer. And set off on his own when he was, like, 15. Wow. And um, took care of himself by becoming a weed dealer. (laughs) And so, 
Um, I bet he graduated to uh, the harder stuff pretty quickly, though. No, not really? not until he uh, not until he started getting into bands. Mm, okay. Um, so I want to say that he started doing like the cocaine stuff mm-hmm. um, around the time he started, like right before he got into Metallica. Mm-hmm. So, um, but of course, you know, he just he gravitated towards you know that early metal scene, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. Right. And he was just, he was so full of anger all the time. Right, yeah. Um, that it was just, metal was a perfect fit for him. Mm-hmm. But he had a belief that you cannot play metal music unless you are as dangerous as you say you are in your lyrics. Yes. Uh-huh. And so it wasn't just a, I just am crazy and... My lyrics are like this. Yeah. Right. Where you have all, that's the majority of bands now. And really a lot, even back then too, like it was all show, mm-hmm. you know, you, you put shocking things in your lyrics, but you don't actually believe those things. Right. It's like, it's like Tom Mariah and his mm-hmm. interview. I mean, like Slayer sacrifices goats on stage and they sing about the most crazy satanic stuff. I don't think they sacrifice goats. They don't sacrifice goats on stage. Anymore. Maybe. I feel like they used to. I feel like there was a point where they did. No, no but, if they did, it wasn't a real goat. But Slayer never reached that point. But but my point being is like they they're that kind of band. But Tom Ryan in an interview would say stuff like, "Oh, you know, people all know what good and evil is. You know, mm-hmm. we just sing about he's, the evil he's stuff." He's Catholic. He's Catholic. So it's like you know he doesn't really believe this stuff. Carrie it's King, all. It's Carrie all, King does, but it's it's. it's well, Not Tom yeah. Mariah. But, like, but it's even, all for show. Yeah, even still, like, you know, you look at some, like, uh, like Iron Maiden. Right. They don't actually be- worship the devil. Right. Um, Judas Priest doesn't sing about actually, you know, going out and, and killing people or motorhead. I mean, or, they have the song Breaking the Law, but, like, they're pretty normal guys. Yeah, like, so. they're, you know... They didn't live the life that they sung about, but Dave Mustaine wanted to, and that's the credence he brought with Metallica. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to be truly the most dangerous band in the world. Mm-hmm. And so he found a camaraderie whenever he mm-hmm. was with them. Dangerous and, to your ears, maybe, you know. And <laughs> said that it was the first family he had felt like he ever found. Wow. That he that they truly were his brothers. The brothers that he never because he didn't have any brothers. He only had sisters. Yeah. So, and just, like, feeling that he wasn't, you know, that he was accepted for the first time, which was why it was so devastating when he got that fateful wake-up. Mm-hmm. So let's also frame a little bit of just how crushing this was. They had already done multiple demos. Yep. And they I've written, listened to them. They're great. They wrote a large majority of that first record, Kill em All. And some of, the, some of the second record. And mm-hmm. supposedly the... Um, on the third record, Master of Puppets, uh, Leper Messiah is supposedly one of his riffs. So now I don't know if that's I don't confirmable. Think I, I hadn't heard that one, but, but, there's, but there's Ride the Lightning of, is. There's a lot was of similarities between even later Metallica songs and some early Megadeth songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so and anyway, yeah, yeah. So and then you know, we famously have the thing about where Kirk Hammett used Dave's solos throughout that whole first record, right? I mean, um, he couldn't have written anything better, I think, was the idea. Yeah, but the thing that Mustaine always says is that he told them not to use the solos, and they Ooh. and they used them anyway. So, to frame kind of where they were, they had Cliff by this time, mm-hmm. and they lived in San Francisco. They 
got in a U-Haul and drove all the way to New York City mm-hmm. because that's where they were going to sign their record deal. Mm-hmm. And they were there with Anthrax. Mm-hmm. Anthra- oh, yeah, because they... Because Anthrax is a New York band. They're actually the only of the big four to not be West Coast-based. Right. So, um, so like, they were there, like, to have their big break finally happen. Mm-hmm. And it was the last day that they were there that they woke him up and told him, you're out. Had they already found... Um... They are. They, so, the, the thing is, is that while whenever Mustaine would take shifts driving... They would be in the U-Haul listening to demo tapes of other guitarists trying to figure out which one they were going to do. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so I've also been hearing, and I've been kind of doing a little bit of digging, and kind of been, there's a theory that Lars is the only one that wanted David out of the band, and that he strong-armed James and Cliff to follow Cliff probably went along with it. I mean, he's just an easygoing guy from what I understand. Mm -hmm. But that James wasn't part of that deal that it was strictly Lars that wanted him out probably I because because the thing that I've heard is that Metallica has always been Lars's band first he wanted to be the leader and he felt that Dave was taking that away from him he was the one that was becoming the 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 symbol of the band because he was so crazy and because he was such a good guitar he was the best musician in the band probably next to Cliff right um, certainly wasn't Lars. <laughs> and James at that point was still... His voice was still at that point kind of... Eh, and you know. his, and his, he was in the process of tightening his rhythm playing. Now right. James is untouchable right. as a rhythm player. By, by the time we get to, even just to their first album, he's a pretty decent rhythm player. Certainly by the time we get to Master of Puppets. I would say by Master of Puppets, that's when and, he reached his... And his voice was at the crazy level at... Kill 'em all, mm-hmm. and it had yet to reach its full potential by you know Master Puppets and Justice and mm-hmm. and stuff. Exactly. So Dave was really becoming the face of the band. He was the one that was wanting to have creative control about what kind of songs we wrote, what our image was like, what the merchandise right. is going to look like. He and wrote the Four Horsemen, for example, and mm-hmm. Jump in the Fire, mm-hmm. not the lyrics. Phantom I mean, Lord. Phantom Lord. That's true. That's another one. Um... So, well, the 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 thing the thinking is that Lars was getting mad that he felt that Dave yeah. was taking the band from him, and so he was the one that pitted everyone against him, mm-hmm. because the way that Dave tells the story is that like James like was sobbing the whole time, that he the when they were taking him to the bus, that James like couldn't even look him in the eye, and and that Lars was more of just like yeah come on get out of here, wow. And it still feels like, you know, that Dave and James are now pretty close, but that mm-hmm. him and Lars are kind of just like a little bit arm's distance. I mean, there's there's interviews between, you know, talks between him and Lars during, you know, concerts today. Mm-hmm. So they've obviously gotten over Yeah, I that. mean, they're, they're at the point to where they're civil and they right. can be around each other. And he never had a problem with Kirk, I don't think. Well. I mean – it was. I he think it never was, had a. But he always he dissed Kirk a lot. He, There's a famous interview where um, he's. I, I'm trying to remember exactly the way he phrased it. They were talking about just like, how do you feel about, um, you know, what do you think about Metallica's new guitar player? And he's just like, he's just playing everything that I wrote. Plus, I nailed his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I'm not surprised. That sounds like a typical Dave Mustaine response. Uh-huh. I think that he always just, and I think that Kirk has been a symbol of his hatred for a while because really? he sees himself as such a better player than him. He, That's just so interesting because because the type of vibe I get from him is is Kirk was just also just a victim of the whole changeup. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Kirk was just the replacement, the inevitable. The way that he would fr- phrase it is, he would see them on, he would see Kirk on stage, and he would get angry. And go, that should be me up there right now, not him. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, I think that he hated Kirk because he's the representation of what should have been his. No matter how big Megadeth would ever get, right? He always felt second fiddle to Metallica. So it was, it was on that bus ride when he was. Just got kicked out of the band where he saw – I think it was a, it was either a magazine or it was an yep. ad. It was a magazine. Said, said the arsenal of Megadeth couldn't be rid. We're in the middle of the Cold War right now. Uh-huh. And so both sides, all sides, however you view the war, is stockpiling a bunch of nuclear weapons. And, mm-hmm. and so there was the fear of nuclear holocaust, which is a big theme throughout their – Early material their, at least second third fourth albums their uh-huh. first album was kind of just crazy party music lyrics if you really it's, well it's all it it's all death satan sex okay <laughs> well okay torture okay but like that's that's for, i for mean that's part, what it is it's just it's super simple metal it's it's by the time we get to the second it's third, not fourth ta- album it's not tackling any social issues right which is what Megadeth would be so famous for being very right. political very right. war themed yes yeah and and certainly in the I early would, 2000s they really hit that peak i would say the modern era is is exclusively about that i i mean yeah most of modern Megadeth is basically like 95% can- it's a political campaign conspiracies yeah. and, and the other 5% is poisonous shadows and it means nothing yeah so <laughs> <laughs> but i would even say peace cells really doesn't go that route either I, mean, I would say it's once we get really once we get to rust in peace that's when we see <clears throat> that motif starting to i mean you have set the world afire on the next album but he wrote that. That was actually that was that was originally named Megadeth. Yeah, because that was the first song he wrote. That was the first song he he wrote um, after leaving Metallica. Is what mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, and it's such that's such a good song. I'm really sad we don't talk about it on this list. <laughs> I'm really sad we don't talk about that whole album. That's my favorite Megadeth album. Oh, we'll talk about that. But um, um <laughs> so but yeah, the whole mission statement was revenge. It was harder, better, faster. Uh, more intense, more dangerous mm-hmm. than Metallica, and then and then the ultimate goal was to make Metallica look like sissies compared to him, and then all of their fans would come to him instead. And, and to an extent, he succeeded, but no, we, not to the point of Metallica's exclusion. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I consider mean, myself a Megadeth fan. I like Megadeth more than Metallica, but that doesn't mean Metallica's music is bad to me. No, I yeah. Still enjoy there's such all a there's music. such a a split sometimes about like you have to either like right. Megadeth or Metallica. You have to love one and hate the right. other. Right before I heard Megadeth, I hated Megadeth. I mean, when <laughs> when uh, when uh, Cole, if you're listening to this, Cole was the uh, friend who introduced me to Pink Floyd's The Wall and Megadeth, and we were gonna go see Ozzy together, but. Ozzy had to go into rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, he kept saying, "Oh, you got to listen to Rust in Peace. You got to listen to Megadeth. Uh, Peace Cells is like their greatest record. You got to listen to that." And um, 
I, I just I didn't want to because it was ingrained in me that I'm a Metallica fan. I can't listen to Megadeth. See, I never had that because I listened to Megadeth without knowing that connection. I just saw Metallica and Megadeth as two bands. And then I remember I was watching the Some Kind of Monster documentary mm-hmm. and Dave Mustaine. I didn't know even know who Dave Mustaine was. I just I didn't know that he was the guy from Megadeth. Mm-hmm. I just knew Megadeth. Mm-hmm. And he it comes to the segment where he's talking to them. And it says Dave Mus and he's and it's he's talking first about saying that he always you know, he's telling the story and they do this really cleverly. They don't show the the tagline, Dave Mustaine, Megadeth. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that just going, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. And yeah. I just remember thinking, I was just like, Megadeth is one of the biggest metal bands of all time. and right. And he still, like, wishes that he was st- in Metallica. Yeah. Well, how, what, what year was that documentary? It's like in 2000 or 2001. Really? Because yeah. I know he... He enjoys Megadeth now, especially with the new musicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kiko Luriero. It was this was amazing. during a low point in his career. Oh yeah, this that, was after Risk came out and cryptic and, writings, and, and he was he had fallen out with that classic lineup of um, the classic lineup we're going to talk about mostly mm-hmm. today. I think he was at that point down and out with Dave Ellison and mm. Marty and Nick were out of the band by that point as well, yeah. and it was just kind of like he was back. He was. You know, he had been sober, but wasn't anymore at that point. Like both he was, bands were kind of both bands were yeah. kind of in the worst shape of their career, right? And so that whole scene is just fascinating because this wasn't some kind of monster, was it? It was in the some kind of monster documentary. Yeah, yeah, and he's just—it's him, kind of for the first time, like telling him how much that firing hurt him. And how mm-hmm. he's n- still at that point had never gotten over it, even though he had said before that he was over it. Yeah, he hadn't. He wasn't over it because he was like crying just about, and he was just like, "You have no idea how it feels to be walking down the street and have some punk kid go Metallica." Yeah, he's just like, and he's like, "That shouldn't affect me, but it does. It still hurts." And yeah. like both Lars and James are crying, and yeah, yeah, Lars has just always been an emotional catalyst for a lot of things in the band. I mean, Jason leaving mm-hmm. he kind of made a big deal about that yeah and, and um dave of course yeah but um so my, my first introduction to megadeth i didn't actually know it was megadeth okay right so i was a diehard megadeth sucks fan and i had just i was like i remember i was doing homework it was like some stupid english thing i mean sorry to my english teachers english but, <laughs> is one of my favorite subjects I mean, I'm, I've always been kind of a left brain person myself, but mm. um, so English anyway didn't come natural to me. I would always put on, you know, music and usually be metal music. It just made me think better. It's just somehow. Um, and I got through the Justice album, and I'm like, oh, I'll just let autoplay go. And I was on some other tab looking at, you know, like Bib Me or something, and um, Rust and Peace came on, but I didn't know what it was. And so of course it was Holy Wars, and then. Hangar 18, and then Take No Prisoners. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I wonder what band this is. you know. And I was like, I really like that voice, too. It's really unique, which people really hate on his voice, especially that album, but I really mm-hmm. like it. Um, and I looked over and was like, oh, my gosh, I might be a Megadeth fan. And so I told my dad, he's like, oh, you're going to like listen to Black Label Society and Death and you know Testament and all this stuff now? And I'm like, no, and I do now. But, um, <laughs> 
I, I've, you listen to death thanks to this podcast. Yeah, thanks to this podcast. Um, yeah, go check so. out our death episode. Yes, not to be confused with Megadeth, although it is a mega band. Um, no, yeah, that was kind of that realization of like both can be good. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and he's just he's been an inspiring like character to me as a musician, just being able to like make your own music like. You can be the sole driving force. Like, that's okay, mm-hmm. you know, um, which in a selfish way is kind of bad. But at the same time, like, you can do it on your own. Yeah. Like, it's possible. Like, Dave Mustaine made it happen. And then also his quote about, like, you know, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Mercedes talking about tattoos, you know, mm-hmm. which no offense to anybody who has any sort of body art, you know, I'm not against that either. But it's just it's just a funny quote. I just I always yeah. think about that when I think about him and his attitude about things and Mm -hmm. um yeah that's he's just been an inspiring person yeah to me as a musician so i i'm gonna enjoy talking about the songs Mm -hmm. yes so So let's uh let's go a little bit through um the other people that have been yeah we haven't even talked about the other people (laughs) we've been talking about dave so let's talk about the other dave dave ellison dave ellison who is notably a pick bass Player. Yes, he is. Um, he's not the only one in the big four because Tom Araya also picks, but he's the one that really like. He's I would say the most underrated bass player of the big four. Yeah, as far as just you know, the other you you know you've got Tom Araya that's I guess not really known as much for playing bass, but he's also not that great of a bass player. Mm-hmm. But it's just because he doesn't have to be. Yeah. You know, he's just really kind of holding down everything right. while he sings. And but you if, have the amazing bass players from Metallica. Yeah. Um, you got Frank Bello from Anthrax. Who is just, just crazy. Yeah, and so I mean, so I think good. of Among the Living album. Like, he's just so crazy. He's so good. Um, but I think it's just, you know, Dave doesn't get near as much credit because a lot of the bass and especially in those first records, are so complex, but at yeah. the same time, so much groove. And there's there's also the other instruments that are really kind of out at you, whereas the bass isn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how they kind of changed that on Rust in Peace. You know, yeah. they let they had some bass lines where there's some kind of groovy bass lines to shine, especially Dawn Patrol. Yeah, but or also uh, Take No Prisoners. There's that little bass solo, Five Magics. Yeah, with the intro. Yeah, it was just that. That's actually what was just playing in my head Mm -hmm. um but yeah he's got he's got so many great moments throughout megadeth Mm -hmm. and he's really kind of been uh dave mustaine's like kind of the loyalist yes and almost kind of his conscious i feel like he's kept him alive (laughs) for a long because he yeah he originally got caught up in the in the drugs and Mm -hmm. and alcohol and stuff but he got clean and stayed clean since like 89. Wow. So that and was like by their third, fourth It record? was after the third album, I think, yeah, the third that album. he got clean right before Rest in Peace. Because that's when Dave Mustaine got clean for the first time. Right. And stayed clean for a little while. Rest in Peace right. was a clean record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then he <laughs> fell off the wagon several times after that. Yeah, those those first three records were obviously not clean records. You can, no, t- you can tell there's some alcohol getting into the spit guard on the mic mm-hmm. with some of those vocal takes. You yeah. Just, you can, he's slurring his words. But it sounds great. It does. I mean, unfortunately, that's just what drunkenness does to you when you're singing thrash metal. But mm-hmm. 
and um, I would say alcohol was the least of his worries by that point. Yeah. So Dave Ellison, he's not always been in the band. There was a period in the early 2000s where he was gone right. because he was like suing Dave Mustaine. Ooh. For, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a lawsuit that he had brought against him for like um, not getting paid what he was supposed to, and uh, huh. that that broke Dave Mustaine's heart. Wow. Um, but they've since repaired that, and um, are, he's now back with the band. I don't think yeah. he'll ever leave again. I mean, there was like one album without him, maybe? I think there were... I know it was System Has Failed. System Has... He wasn't on that one. I don't think he was on United Abominations either. Oh, really? I think that was a different bass player. Okay. Because that's also a really good album from that era. Yeah. So. I think that it was... Um, that 13 was the one that he... Ooh, that's such a bad album to come back. Yeah, to. It's got a, it's got a couple good songs. It's, I mean, it does, and it's got a neat idea. Just the fact that it's the thirteenth, and that's his quote unquote lucky number because that's mm-hmm. how many times he supposedly died or had near death experiences or yeah. whatever. And so, so, um, and then of course we have in the early days we have so let's, Gar so then, Samuelson. And so yeah, have, so let's then talk about the the rotating, right, right. the always rotating parts of the band, which is the drummer and the, drummer the, the guitar other player. guitar player. It's kind of like death. Whereas it's it's if you can't play the part, you just you can't play the part. Sorry, <laughs> it's not. But that's not the reason why they but, would leave. But they're oh okay. So so let, we're going to talk about this here. Okay. So let's talk about the first iteration, which is Carl Samuelson on drums and Chris Pullen on guitar. That in my mind was the one of the best. It is one of the best. It's probably the second best. I think the lineup we have now is the best, but no. Okay. The we best. can agree to disagree. When we get I'll, there, we'll, we can we'll have talk that about debate. what I think was the best. Okay. Um, this man, this is really close though, and it's actually a lineup through getting ready for this episode that I've uh, garnered more appreciation for. Mm-hmm. So the two albums that they played on were um, "Killing Is My Business" and "Business Is Good," which is the right. debut record, and then "Peace Sales, But Who's Buying," which have which their was, own stories, which we may not have time to get into probably but. not we're already coming up on an hour <laughs> a little bit so we'll we'll uh, brief it'll give us ammo to s- talk about future yeah. episodes In future episodes, we're, we're gonna yeah. paint broad strokes here <laughs> so they are actually not primarily metal musicians they they rarely are for megadeth actually from, well, from my understanding mm, not always uh but these guys in particular they're jazz players which is amazing when you hear, especially yeah, Chris Poland's super jazz fusion. But you can but, hear it in his solos. For me, it's the fact that Gar plays the way that he does, the way how fast he can play his yeah. double bass. Like you would have thought that he was a metal guy through and he through. He is so intense. He's but at the same time, amazing. man, his sense of groove is so nice. And yeah. I felt like him and Dave Ellison really. That actually might have been the best drum-bass combo in all of Megadeth history yeah. is Gar and Dave. Because you do have that Listening, Peace Cells record. You listen, yeah, spe- is, I would say especially in Peace Cells. Yeah. Hearing the bass drum interplay on that album is just like, it's awe-inspiring. It's so good. Um, but these guys were the ones that got Dave onto heroin. Oh wow! Because what Gar told him was that if you want to be one of the greats, you got to do and Chris. Yeah, but it was specifically Gar that got him into it. Okay. Chris did as well, but that's what Gar told him. He said, "If you want to be one of the greats, 
you got to do heroin. Wow. And Dave said, well, I want to be one of the greats. Give me the heroin. I mean. Because <laughs> heroin was not as m- much a rock and roll drug. I mean, it became one, especially in, in the 70s. In the, in the 90s, it was too. In the 90s, it made a comeback. I don't think it was as big in the 80s. But um, that's what, you know, heroin is what killed Jimi Hendrix. It's what killed right. Janis Joplin. Mm-hmm. All the Aerosmith guys were on it. Led Zeppelin guys were on it. Um, but primarily it comes from the jazz world. There are so many guys from the forties and fifties that in the jazz world that died really young. It's because of heroin. Mm -hmm. That was the drug that got them. And so that's how they got into it was being in the jazz world and they brought it over and, and got both of the Daves on it as well. And, um, he tells a lot of stories about like, on a nightly basis, um, they would get to rehearsal and find out that Gar par- pawned off his entire drum set for more heroin. And they would have to oh like go figure out what pawn shop it was. Or he would pawn off other people's gear. Like, uh, yes, Dave's guitars that. would be gone. Yes, or... it was like, um, it, I think it was Chris Poland who actually pawned off an MXR Phase 90 from Dave. Mm-hmm. And... That was like one of the big, um, like lyrical points of one of the songs off their third album, Liar, mm. was actually about Chris Poland. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of about like an ex relationship. A lot of his songs are kind of about ex relationships, kind of about like mm-hmm. former band members. Like In My Darkest Hour was written because Cliff died, but mm-hmm. the lyrics were about an, an ex girlfriend. But yeah, so. That's crazy. I'm not surprised that Gar did that too. Yeah, they would just—they'd be like, "Where are your symbols, Gar?" I pawned them for heroin. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's a great drummer. Yes, he, he is. He lays down some awesome drum tracks. Yeah, and so um, also another thing interesting is that they, those two, did not tour for the first album. Huh? Because they like got mad about at them for something, and just was like left the band. But then they came back and did P Cells and did the tour for that one. Um, mm-hmm. but Dave just got fed up with the fact that like they had to on a daily basis, like go search around whatever city they were in just to get their stuff back. Mm-hmm. He's finally was just like, I'm not doing this anymore and, mm-hmm. and fired him. Hmm. And so, so there's that. So they, he didn't fire them cause they couldn't play, but he fired both of them at the same time because of the same reason or, and just because of the fact that it was like, there was a, there was a divide in the camp. Gar and Pullen had each other's back and would kind of plan against the other two, and both the Daves were um, in the same camp as well. Right. So there was always division. People were taking sides, and, and so, you know, it was just, it wasn't healthy for the band. Right. And so then we have the uh, the weird lineup that only lasts yeah, for one album. Which is actually, like, I would never actually thought to memorize the names of this lineup i know i actually need to look up the names because they're they're so like here and then gone mm-hmm. and but but what is interesting is kind of how it facilitates the coming of the next band members so we had um we had chuck baylor mm-hmm. on, on the, drums. the drums i know jeff is and the jeff young player. was the guitar player yes so, so jeff young i feel like is a is a familiar name is he Involved in other... Not that I know of. I think he was... He's like an 
way older than the other guys in the band. Wow. I think he was like a guitar teacher. I mean, he played some great solos, some great riffs on that album. Yeah. I'm sure most of the riffage was Dave anyway, but mm-hmm. but a lot of those solos are so good. Here's the thing, and one of the reasons why I think that So Far So Good is not doesn't stack up with the other ones is just the particularly the drums are not near the level that they should be at. No. Um, there's no synergy, I feel, between the drums and the rest of the band. They kind of just are sitting a lot around on their own. And there's just, it feels like he didn't have the right guys with him. Which is when, when Dave writes his best stuff, it's when he has the right guys with him. See, I feel like the opposite. I feel like he had the right guys for the right, I feel like that album was peak Megadeth in its like purest form. Maybe not peak Megadeth as far as like the songwriting or everything, but it's my favorite album because it's like it's so it just sounds like the word Megadeth. Every song on that album sounds like you're in the middle of like World War One or two or something and you're like shooting the other side or you're in a plane, you know, in a dogfight or what it sounds like warfare, which is what the word Megadeth essentially means. Yeah. I'm going to just be blunt. I think that it's a terrible record. Okay. Not not even just that I think it's okay. Like, I think it's bad. I will give you that the drums sound pretty bad. That snare sound is pretty... I just think the songwriting Ugh. is just not near the level but, that I mean, it should you got, be. You got Set the World Afire. You got In My Darkest Hour. You got Liar is so good. I don't Hook think... Hook in My Mouth is so good. I don't think that Liar is a very good song. That's the thing. And uh, uh, what, is it, what is it called? 504? Oh, 502? 502? 502 is a great that's, first solo in it. That song is just... I heard it, and I was just like, I'm never listening and to this song Anarchy, Anarchy in the I, UK. I think, that, I think that cover is terrible. Mary Jane? I hate that. What too. in the world? Oh my goodness! And I and I made myself listen to it several times, getting ready for this episode, just trying to see, like, okay, let me just try and see, put what I think of it aside. And I just listen. I was just like, there's a couple good songs, like in my darkest hour. That's an all time great Megadeth right. song. Uh, I think Hook and Mouth is great. Set the World of Fire is great. That's it. Oh my goodness! That's it. I just I think it's all killer no filler. I in my personal opinion, we can agree to disagree. It's just it's got the sound, so, it's got the it's got the lyrics, it's got And got so everything. then I also took a look at it and I was just like, Well, what does the band think of this song of this album? Mm-hmm. I looked on the songs that they play live, except for In My Darkest Hour and kind of hook in your mouth. All of them are like less than twenty times played live. They total. don't say they don't play Set the World of Fire? No. That is such a good song. Mm-mm. Oh, it's got the perfect, you know, it's got the perfect ABA setup. It's just, oh my goodness. It's just, I think it was the perfectly written metal song, Set the World of Fire. Mm. I think that's thrash metal at its peak. I just think they did it better in many other places. So it okay. was just, I just, I was just, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. Okay. And I've just I I read reviews. I looked at what the general consensus is, and it feels just like overall in the fan base, it's kind of the album that's viewed as a misstep. And it's hmm. when it's at the point when the drugs were just at the worst. He was never in a worse spot, drug wise, alcohol wise. That's true. That is very true. It was at the end of that cycle that he. I want to say that's when he died, and had the first be, time. 
Yeah. Maybe the second time. It had to be resuscitated. Mm-hmm. And to where, you know, then him and Dave David Evelson were just like, we can't do this anymore. We have to get clean or else there's going to be nothing left. Right. The and easiest so, way for you listeners to decide whether or not the album is good is to listen to it for yourselves. Yes. I will <laughs> never say don't listen to this album because I, I like it. So, I mean, the thing, there's something there. I don't want to take away from the fact that you love this record. Right. I just want to kind of show what history is shown for this right. record. I don't think history has fared well for this record. Mm-hmm. I mean, the band doesn't like it. Most fans don't like it. I'm just an outlier. Yeah. But I like it. And I'm not going to tell you you're wrong for it. So, anyway. But, but the thing is, we've got then the best Megadeth album that comes okay. right after that. Yeah, well, okay. Objectively, objectively, this is the best Megadeth record. Objectively, this is the best thrash metal record. Probably the greatest metal record. It's, it's a it's contender. It's definitely up there. And I will say, it is... Peace Cells can give it a good run for its money. Yeah, Peace Cells is a great record. Too. It's it's got... it's, om- it's almost perfect, except for I ain't superstitious. I, I got to say, the second half of of Peace Cells compared to the first half. First, because th- you got you got ain't superstitious and Bad Omen. Just Bad it's Omen. a great song, but to end the album with no, my last words is the last one. Yeah, so that's to, a great... to end the album with those three. Yeah, because Good Morning Black Friday, that's... That's just a killer song. So good. And everything before it as well. Yeah. Was oh, yeah. just killer. Mm-hmm. But Rust in Peace is perfection from the word go. It is. There's there's not a weak moment on the whole it record. It is. And, and that's for why that... I'm, I'm glad it was my first record. Um, the songs have had staying power throughout their sets. Yeah. Um, they've, they've risen to become among the most revered songs in metal. Yeah. And it was a great kind of final moment for Thrash in its in the classic era mm-hmm. because you know 1990 is when that album came out, and then after that, right. Thrash kind of died. So we 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 got rid of Jeff Young and Chris and Chuck Baylor. Chuck Bailey, <laughs> sorry, Baylor, Baylor. I'm and sorry. so the way that we get Nick Menza is that he was Chuck's drum tech. Wow! And Chuck just like didn't show up. And so Nick just got behind the kit, started playing. Wow. And Dave's like, you got the job. I, I know um, uh, that Marty Friedman was a bit longer of a story. They had been looking for guitar players for a while Yeah, at that point. In my opinion, yeah. this was the best. He was the best fit for Dave no. that has oh. ever been in Megadeth. Yeah, for sure. Not talking objectively how great they are, because Chris Pullen is a great guitar player. I, I love He Chris wasn't Pullen's necessarily solos. the best Megadeth guitar player and, and, yeah as far as being a such a creative soulmate for dave now now dave won't say that today no he'll say that that their current guitar player which i would kind of agree with him but he's said that about every guitar player i mean but even chris roderick though yeah at the time i've i've uh, have heard him at the time going he's the best guitar player we've ever had in Megadeth. okay i mean and i, I mean, would say here's the thing though he's yeah. always gonna say he's that because he doesn't want to diss the current lineup because then people aren't going to buy the records that have it it's the same reason why every time that a new album's come out they'll say i think this is the best album we've ever made we completely created a new genre this yeah Yeah. i just if it's just like i just the songs came so easily this time right and you know i just it feels like this is classic you know or we're going in a new they'll always say that because they're not gonna you know 
crap all over their new record before it comes out or people won't go buy it. Yeah. Same thing with band members. They're always going to say that this is the best lineup we've ever had. They're not going to say, yeah, you know, Sean Drover's a great drummer, but man, I wish we had Gar Samuelson back. Yeah. You know, that's not going to go well. They're always going to say that. Right. But I think that no one ever brought out the best in Dave the way that Marty Friedman no. did. And, I, and he even pulled the yeah. best music out of him, right. and he was a pure equal as far as technicality, technicality. and creativity. Yes. They were kind of two sides of the same coin and also two sides of different coins as well. I mean, Marty Friedman came from like that jazz fusion scene in the same way that Chris yeah, but he did, also but he, but he also had a very significant he a heavy of, metal pedigree, right? As we'll get to in our bonus song, right, which we can talk about, because um, there's some interesting story there too about the the Rust in Peace uh, record and how he uh, mm-hmm. got onto that. Because but, he's yeah. he has his own signature way that he plays that's so unique to him. Yeah, the way especially the way he it, phrases and the way he is picking hand is just it looks like a nightmare. Yeah, but but, but Dave. Mustaine, and actually, I, I would say the whole band talks about that record and that lineup being when they first became Megadeth. Like when, right when they got clean and they first decided, like this is the first album that we're really proud of. He talks yeah. about that with Peace Cells a little bit, like because mm-hmm. they were so drunk for their debut record and they didn't have a producer and the mixing was so bad they did everything themselves. And Peace Cells was kind of like their quote unquote first record. Mm-hmm. But they talk about Rust and Peace being when they found. This is what they wanted and, to be, and it's what and it's what Megadeth really derives from going forward, right? Um, and we don't get further much forward from this, so this is kind of where history stops. No, I mean we'll talk about the the two records that follow, right? But but they kind of follow but a we, little bit this, of the this same is, idea. This, the the lineup is set, and this is the most stable lineup that the band has ever had. Six albums this way, and I would say will ever have. Uh, it's not six. No, it's only four. No, because we had we had Risk and Cryptic Writings, didn't we? Yeah. So five, and there was another one. So rust in peace. It was like world needs a hero or something. No, it wasn't. No, because um, Nick Menza wasn't on that one. No, it was. Uh, yeah, Nick Menza was not on that record. I think. I feel like there were six. Or Marty wasn't on it. I can I can fact check. There this. were there were definitely six because it was it was rust in peace, and then there was countdown to extinction, then which youth, we'll talk about. Then euthanasia. Where they where they kind of. Then cryptic writings. Yeah. Count, countdown to extinction was kind of that shift record. It was kind of like. Their black album, where it's like they just had that super proggy record, you know, the Rest in Peace, uh, um, Justice for All. Yeah, I was right. Nick wasn't on uh, World Needs a Hero or Marty. Huh. In fact, Nick wasn't even on Risk. So it was just the it was just the four. It's just four. So anyway, um, Countdown to Extinction was that that shift record, mm-hmm. I would say. Yep. Because they came off the super proggy, super thrash, like can't touch it. I would say album. tech thrash. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and then afterwards they have that complete shift where it sounds almost nothing similar. Mm-hmm. You can't have the euthanasia right after rest in peace. If you no. listen to them, I love both those albums, but I just, I can't find myself to like countdown to extinction. I love um, foreclosure of a dream I, I love that song mm-hmm. um the title song i kind of every once in a while will come back to it and listen to it symphony of destruction the song we have represented today of course mm-hmm. but just the album as a whole i think it was just it was too much of a shift almost like a saint anger in a sense so revisiting i've actually am starting to 
feel the same way as you do. Mm-hmm. Listening to more euthanasia, I feel like the mix is better. It feels more full. It it sounds the songwriting is mm-hmm. the thing is is that the highs on Countdown to Extinction are higher. Right. But Euthanasia is more consistent. It yeah, Euthanasia I is one of those albums where I'll put on and I'll listen all the way through because mm-hmm. every song is just killer. It also helps that like um so far so good so what the actual sound engineering sounds like what the album cover looks like mm-hmm. um and so maybe that's a contributing factor to me Count that mean, new extinction also sounds what it looks like that's true kind of kind of enclosed mm-hmm. a little bit and dry and very dry um but you still have that kind of reverby esque like it's not completely dry whereas like justice is but it's mm-hmm. it's yeah so but anyway um I'm ready to get to the songs if you are. Unless you have more to say, but I have more that you know, we can say for uh, we, we volume can, two. Yeah, I think we should move on because we're at an hour 15. <laughs> Just talking about the band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you tell this is one of our favorite bands? <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to the next section. So we're going to take a small break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the songs. So stay tuned and enjoy our new bumper music. Yeah. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Megadeth for quite a long time. Um, and now it's time to get into our six songs we have selected for this episode. So, for those of you listeners who are new, I will let Lucas explain what we mean by six songs. Oh, yeah. I'm going to explain it all right. I'm okay. going to explain the <laughs> heck out of it. Okay. Um, six songs is just a way for us to um, be able to talk concretely about what their sound is, what their songwriting is, as well as provide you listeners a good first step. If you've never listened to Megadeth before, then these six songs are going to be the best first step that you can take. So I'm not necessarily picking the six best songs or my six favorite songs or what I think are objectively the six uh, best songs they ever wrote or their most popular ones. Rather, I'm picking ones that if you are new to Megadeth, you're going to know everything you need to know to get started, as well as I pick songs and order them in a way to where they transition well off of each other, that there's a flow. It's not just random collection, but that it takes you on a musical journey. So right. um, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that takes you to a Spotify playlist. Um, I'm actually experimenting on seeing if I can get playlists made on Apple as well. So. Ooh. Stay tuned to hear if that was successful or not. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, take a listen to them. Even if you've heard these songs before, still listen to them. Uh, them being in this order, you might get something new and exciting out of it. So um, let's go ahead and get started with right. the the only song that you could put first. This is, yeah, this is the only end. Well, okay, there are a few others. Uh, I mean... But this is the best for, one. For... For someone first starting off on Megadeth, Be- it's fitting. This because this was my first Megadeth song. I'm sure it was yours. No, it wasn't actually. Oh, okay, it is on this list, but it's not this one. Okay, um, this is Holy Wars. Dot dot dot. The punishment due. Yes. but everybody just calls it Holy Wars. Yeah, I call it Holy Wars. This is the Guitar Center song for me. Really? Because uh, you know how everyone will make fun of like Stairway to Heaven or like Nothing Else Matters or like Smoke on the Water being like. You go to Guitar Center, play those songs. Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. 
I I will often go to Guitar Center and just play this, but it's not overplayed that like other guitar players around me will like start playing the other parts, mm-hmm. and it's like I I meet other guitar players by playing this song. It's such a well known song. It's, it's just, like a calling card. It is. It is, and it's got it's it's the same way as like those super thrash epics are like Master Puppet's Raining Blood mm-hmm. um, that has multiple parts to it um, that are each distinct and this one even like changes tempos. It's really it's two songs and it is. they, they were true. written as two songs mm-hmm. and then just kind of because they, they don't even narratively follow the same theme because you've got the Holy Wars section which is exactly about that. It's about you know Killing in the name of religion and, right. you know, crusades and just, you know, going to war over a religious ideology rather than, you know, political or socionomical. Right. Um, but then you have the punishment due, which is about the Punisher. <laughs> yeah, the comic book. Yeah. 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 Which uh, is actually only the second song that he'd made about that, with the first being Killing is My Business and Business is Good. Oh, I thought that one was just nope. uh, killing... That's also okay. about the Punisher. That's weird. He's a big fan. Uh, uh, clearly. Yeah, and then for the Punisher movie, they put one for the trailer instead of either of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I, Once okay, again, so, uh, Megadeth getting overshadowed by Metallica. Right. So I'm, I'm once again, kind of, well, not once again, but I, I am confused as to where the actual split is. Like, I know it's somewhere during Mustaine's solo. I would say it happens um, once you get to the boom, the bottom, da 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 da. Really? Because that's still part of Holy Wars. He's still singing about Holy Wars. Not when it gets to the ways of war. That's the punishment dude. Oh, really? They killed my wife and my baby with hopes to enslave me. First mistake, last mistake. Just talking about it's because that. Do you know what the origin story of the Punisher is? No, I thought that was just that was. I thought that was just like a like a war story. No. Okay. What it is is actually it's a it's palindromic. The first and the last sections are the holy wars, and the part in the middle is the punishment due. That's actually kind of cool because that fits that fits Be- almost the rhyming scheme of holy wars, mm-hmm. where it's that the a a b b a or whatever. Yeah. So. Because also all the stuff in that area is doesn't musically connect to anything else going on in the song, but then when you get back to the down, that's when you're back to the Holy Wars part of the song. That's interesting. Okay, it has nothing to do with with our last song of the set where they're A B. No, it's it's A B A. At least I'm really sure it is. I don't. He's. I don't think he's ever come out and said this is where Holy Wars ends and this is. I, but I, just looking at the huh. lyrics, looking musically, because even when it goes to that that breakdown, uh, that that you're still that's still part of the Holy Wars part. You look at the lyrics and as well mm-hmm. as the musical. It's cop. It's a slow down version. Riff. Well, kind of. I mean, with a little variation, but that you can tell that that's where they pulled that idea from, right? Um, and then, yeah, once it kicks back up, you're you're back to the same musical motifs as in the first part of the song, hmm. and it kind of comes full circle. I think that what it is is the second part kind of kind of ties both of them together. You could say that maybe they're talking about both. Hmm. Um, I, I would say there's there's an argument for that. Yeah. 
Because th- of the fact that I confused them. Mm-hmm. Because I think <laughs> it's like, it's musically, we're taking everything from Holy Wars, but lyrically it's more akin to Punishment Due. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always thought that the that at the very last verse, he wasn't saying fill the cracks in with judicial granite. I still was like trying to tie it to like some kind of Holy Wars, like some kind of like biblical like thing. So I thought it was like that's the thing. I, I thought it was like run to the hill where Judas ran. I think that it's. <laughs> I think it. Could, I think it's intentionally uh, meant to where it could be either. I think it is too. I think that you could say that it it fits the um the the holy uh order of you know, taking someone out because the Lord has told you to. Right. And kind of from the perspective of the soldier, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, a lot of soldiers in those kind of holy wars are brainwashed to, you know, they, they believe only in the cause and in the right. in the divine directive. Yeah. Um, next thing you know, they've taken my thoughts away. Yeah. But that could also, you know, go back to the Punisher, you know. They they took his life, his thoughts, his memories away, and now he only has one mission in mind, and that's to kill, to avenge. Yeah. And so I think that you kind of have some ambiguity. It's kind of like it's blending the two. Because obviously, musically, it's Holy Wars. But lyrically, I guess you could kind of say that it, it could pull from Punishment Due to where they're not completely separate, and there's kind of a melding of the two at mm-hmm. the end. So... My understanding, there's a story, a personal story for the band behind this song. Yeah, uh, Dave has kind of gone back and forth about whether or not this actually inspired him to write it. Sometimes he says that he wrote the song right after this event. Other times he said, no, it has nothing to do with it. I don't think he can make up his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the story goes is that they were playing in Ireland, Mm -hmm. and he... This was before he got clean, so this was during the uh, So Far So Good So What tour. Right. I think this was like in 89 or maybe early 90, Mm -hmm. and um, he was so drunk and just plastered that um, someone said something like um, about the cause, and he didn't know what the cause was, Mm -hmm. and the thing in Ireland at the time was that there was this huge sociological rift between two different sects of Catholics. Oh, it was between two sects of Catholics. I thought it was Catholic Protestant. Or Catholic Protestant. Yeah, I think I think that's what I it is. I think that's why we have Northern Ireland now. I think that's that's actually what it I is. I don't know. Um and so he just having no idea what he's saying just says um this one is for the cause give Ireland back to the Irish. And then just goes on playing. And he says that he actually blacks out at that point and has no recollection of the rest of the night. Wow. Um, But apparently a riot started, and they had to be taken from the venue in a bulletproof bus. Yeah, I remember that. And he wakes up the next morning, and, like, the whole band is just like, won't even look. And he's just like, what did I do? Because he said that earlier in the tour he had peed in David Ellison's suitcase, so he thought that he did that again. <laughs> and they were like, do you not remember what you said last night? And he's like, no. What? And they were like, you started a, like, a riot, and we had to be escorted by military personnel to prevent from being killed. Wow. And so he was just like, oh, well, mm-hmm. okay then. <laughs> and so sometimes he says that right after that incident, he started writing the lyrics to Holy Wars, and then other times he said that it was not inspired by that but that the event did happen but that's just not what inspired it i'm Hmm. gonna say that it did i mean it definitely 
Cause did. Because it, it definitely, you know, you've it got makes the themes of, you know, it's just it's not about that particular incident, but rather just about religious conflict in general. Right. Which is interesting now that he's a Christian because it right. kind of takes on a new meaning. Instead of coming from someone that is just like, you know, what the heck with religion, now he's saying it just like, you know, this is not the way that we're supposed to do things. Right. That's so. the, that's the way I see it now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's the way he sings it now. Yeah. You know, there are some songs that he won't sing now because mm-hmm. of... Uh, Although he has reversed his view on a couple. He sings The Conjuring now. Uh, does he Does he sing uh, Black Friday? Yeah, because they did a. They really? recently did a. Um, uh, in 2015 or 2016, they did a 30 year piece sales by doing the album in its entirety, and that was like the first time that he had played a couple of the songs hmm. on that album. I mean, I know he won't. Uh, he won't. He won't do Anarchy in the UK tour with uh, Ghost. Nope. There's a couple. Um, a couple bands that couple actually bands. got canceled for festivals that Megadeth was at. Because I think he that's said, a little extreme. I think that is a little extreme. Well, I think that's a little extreme for those festivals to cancel the other band. Yeah, like it's it, not the, it's not their fault. It's not their fault, anyway. But you, you can't have you can't have a metal festival without Megadeth at the same time. Like, yeah, they're kind of the one of the ones that just like you know you you have to have. They're us. they're the headlining act. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's them or no one's going to show up. Um, yeah. But um, this song was the first song off that Rust and Peace album. Yes. I think that it's really cool that, you know, I feel like metal albums in general, a lot of times the first song, they'll have like a long, you know, kind of Metallica set the tone for this of having long kind of calm intros to kind of build suspense and set the mood. Mm -hmm. The thing I like about Rest in Peace is it just starts you off right. It does. There's no warning. There's no foreplay. It's just... Right into the action. And I would say there's even a better example on our third song that's a better example of an album starter. But I don't want to say it's better, but, but this, it's, this it's the same a, idea. It's the same idea. And this song is is the perfect introduction to Megadeth. I mean, it was I'm a Megadeth like super fan now, and that was my first introduction. And I I can't say with confidence that this is my favorite Megadeth song. I actually don't know what my favorite Megadeth is. I don't know what mine is. But I think I could say objectively that this is their greatest song. I it's think got everything it needs. I, it's got the lyrical ideas. It's it's it is the most quintessentially Megadeth song ever made. Yes, as far as lyrical content, the technicality. There's um, there's a lot of thrash in it, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of prog in it. Yeah, which is something that I really enjoyed when I first heard it. It mm-hmm. wasn't just. You know, four four the whole time in the same tempo with snare on the two and the four. Yeah, it's very. Um, I think that it it's a candidate for being maybe the best metal song ever written. Yeah, and it, just, it's a serious candidate. I don't think that any other Megadeth songs top it in quality. But then again, just that's a different conversation of what's my favorite, right? Because. I'm I'm gonna say probably just for the history I have with the song that our next song is my favorite. Really? Yeah, my my favorite probably isn't on the list, but that's okay. Um, so I've, speaking can... of the next song, this is actually the next song in the album. So yes. it's the it's the quintessential classic one two punch. Oh and yeah! Talk about a one two punch, man! Again, this ranks up there with Battery Master of Puppets, right? War Pigs, Paranoid. Um, you know, of just having the 
best, you know, just combo of songs. Right, and it, it's, it's to open an album. It also this next song is Hangar Eighteen. Um, it also uh, opens Ace, up. Ace is high. Two minutes to midnight is another great right. one-two punch. Right, it opens up with the full band coming on a full blast, you know, playing those huge open chords. So it doesn't have the, you know, ease you into it intro either. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that Megadeth rarely ever does. Yeah. So when they do it, it's a big deal. Uh-huh. But it's they're not. Pretty they're just not that kind of band. They're no. harder, better, faster than anything else. That was their goal. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Yeah, we didn't need that. I just did that. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, no. so Hangar 18, this was the first Megadeth song I ever heard. Okay. And I've got to thank Guitar Hero 2 for that. Yeah. Because it was like, this, it was the second to last song in the game before Freebird. But like, oh. you had to you had to beat this song in order to unlock Freebird as like the encore grand finale. Uh-huh. Uh, I never heard of Megadeth, I'm out, but I remember just playing the song and being like, what? How can any human being play guitar like this? Yeah, the it, I think it, it's either Marty Friedman and Dave Mustaine trading off solos. Yeah, or maybe they it's are. Just, They're okay. taking turns. Yeah, especially at, at the end. At the end, yeah. I think um, up until that point, Friedman's playing most of them. Mm-hmm. Like during the riffing part, yeah. and also the extended part in the middle during the when the ship tempo yep. shift comes. Mm-hmm. But then after that point. They go back and forth, and I know that Mustaine has the one at the very end where he's playing really into the the squealies at the end. Yeah, he likes to do that. Like um, uh, Washington is next is one of those I think of. Um, also, the final solo to Holy Wars was his. Yeah, um, and this is very different soloing, very different phrasing for Marty Friedman than for uh, the Holy War solos. Those were a lot more melodic, slower. He mm-hmm. was able to kind of like uh, deal with each note and kind of bring out the emotion whereas now he's bringing out the power yeah and the speed and that's why this is such a good one-two punch is because mm-hmm. now we're seeing both sides of what make marty friedman one of the greatest guitar players of all time yes i, I love seeing the memes where a, it'll say a song and it'll be like i have such and such number of solos and then it'll show hanger 18's hold my beer yeah yeah there's so many solos there's so many it almost one two yeah. if you don't there's really Two solos each verse, mm-hmm. and then three, four, and then five trade-off solos after that. So nine solos total. It 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 gets old if you're not like a like a metalhead, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I've even heard like some non-metalheads will listen to this song and be like, "Yeah, I kind of like this song," which is really surprising because it's so. Metal. The lyrics are like about aliens and like government, you know. Yeah, Hangar 18 uh, is apparently where, uh, you know, the, they are housing all of the alien technology yeah. that they claim doesn't exist. Right. The military intelligent two words combined that can't make yeah, sense. Yeah, he uh, he gets to talk about his political views again uh-huh. in this one. Um, but that's that's how this album is is essentially his political campaign. Yep. Um. And it was when he was uh, the political spokesman for MTV News at the time. Really? Yeah, he like did a bunch of like correspondence reporting. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah, it's really funny to watch those videos. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but 
lyr- almost lyrical nonsense, but at the same time, like you can get the point he's coming across. Like, yeah, it's not nonsense in the fact that he's not singing about anything, but it's he's singing he's about not... something, but the words are kind of. Yeah, it's more about how the words sound, and there's no story because the lyrics are out of the picture pretty early. Right. You know, there's just there's two verses, two choruses, two very short choruses, and then they're gone because that that's not the point of the song. The, the point, point is, is the guitars to, to show off Marty Friedman. Yep, a little bit. And so and him. Yeah, my actual favorite part of the song is the. Uh, digga, 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 digga. Nope. It's, oh. it's the it's the breakdown in the intro, the ba na ba na na na, and the drum oh. fills. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Because it's now halftime from what it was. That's that's something that I enjoyed about Megadeth. You know, from my Metallica experiences, Metallica would rarely do that. I mean, I think it was like maybe like Whiplash. Mm-hmm. in that one yeah. very end when they'd go halftime. And that was like the only song I knew at that point that would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, Metallica's not known for their breakdowns. But Megadeth was the right kind of breakdown. It wasn't like the super like stereotypical like metalcore breakdown where it's like, oh, let's just find a slow, sludgy riff and just stick it in here. No, it's like they craft each riff. Mm-hmm. And it was refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, this this song is, and we haven't I haven't even talked about Nick Menza yet. Yeah, let's do that. Um, one of my, I would say, top five most influential drummers to me in my style of playing. Um, listening to the album "Rest in Peace" for the first time um, completely changed the way that I played drums because I wanted to. He's so precise right. and so clinical in the way he plays, but yet somehow it still grooves. It doesn't feel robotic. It's mm-hmm. it's tight but tight with feel, right? I th- I think about the uh, the main beat to Holy Wars, where it's mm-hmm. like boom, 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 which is like such a pop, like arena rock, like almost bubblegum pop beat, mm-hmm. but it's for like such a metal song. It it changed the way that I thought about drum parts, uh-huh. and I'm not even a drummer. Yeah, and I just I love the way his drums sound. He got he has such a yes. great snare sound. His yeah. toms always sound really good, mm-hmm. and just the way he constructs parts, they're like riffs, right? Because he's not someone that's like going to change up the groove in different parts. Like he's just you know he he has a specific groove that he's going to play for this part, and every time we come back to this part, he's going to play it that way. But yet it's also so interesting the way he's playing it that and it always works so perfectly in tandem with what the guitars and bass are doing. He's one of those drummers that. Uh increases the fill intensity as he goes, is he? Yes, which is of Neil Peartism. Yeah, which is it. Which is, I think, another reason why I like him. Right. When when people craft their fills to where, as the song goes, the fill is getting more intense and more um, dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, let's play the fill again, or play a completely different fill that ha- doesn't connect to the previous fill. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Peart always worked in rules of three. He always would do something... At, usually three times and it was always introduce it the most simple version of it do a permutation of it and the third time is the insane version of it Mm -hmm. and Nick Menza does that as well yeah yeah Um, but obviously we get to see that uh, both guitarists are soloists that's something that's kind of rare in I wouldn't say rare in thrash but, but rare in the metal world is you'd usually have you know the lead guitarist, I would the I would say it's guitarist. I would say it's rare in thrash. 
Really? Because usually you do have a guy that's just rhythm. I mean, I guess Slayer does it too, but Metallica's not like that. Anthrax is not like that. That's true. Anthrax isn't like that. Um, um, yeah. Testament's not like that. But but that's, I know, at least I don't think they are. But it's but it's interesting because Judas Priest does the same thing. Is yeah. They'll have like the original band that actually Iron Maiden took does the it. name metal and Iron Maiden as well, which they now have three. I'm sure. Yeah, they right? do. They still are touring with the three. Mm-hmm. Um, will like they'll trade off solos, and they won't get in each other's way. They yeah. won't do one of like the the Rolling Stones things where they're solo over each other. Mm-hmm. They'll give each other their space and they'll sit back and play rhythm, but also be able to show off when it's the other person's turn. And I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And we see a lot of it in the next song. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and move on to the next song. This um, is the this first is... song off of Peace Cells, which is the other record that I was told to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And so when I put that record on, this was the first thing to play. And it it's another one that just like in your face within five seconds. So um, this song is our patron exclusive song. It is. No, wait, no. Flip that. This Flip is, that. This, this is not the patron. This is not the patron song. This is the YouTube. I forgot. <laughs> I I got confused. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Boy, do I look silly. Um, <laughs> Sounds this silly. is this is the one that's on YouTube. <laughs> this was such a blast to record. Oh my goodness. So much fun. So hard to record. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bunch of riffs, so tightly packed. Mm-hmm. This is Wake Up Dead, by the way. So, yo, uh, oh, yeah, we didn't even say that. Um, so, in the same way that Hangar Eighteen is a solo fest. Wake Up Dead is a riff fest. It really is. With some great solos sprinkled in here and there. Uh-huh. But, like, again, this is another one where the vocals are not at all the focus. They're barely in the song. Right. But I think I think the vocals here do a much better job than the vocals in Hang Rating. I agree. I mean, you did, the, you did the vocal style very different for our cover, but I really like the original way the vocals were, especially on the non-remastered version mm. which we have yet to talk about yeah but um, i know you have things I'm, to say I'm, about that. I'm i'm used to the non-remastered megadeth mm-hmm. um especially for their uh records between peace cells and euthanasia mm-hmm. um i think the final kill is a great remaster um, yeah that's for that's, killing is my business listening to the final kill was what made me like that album for the first time right me too me too um and but but Peace Sells, the remastered version, I think Dave Mustaine did it himself. He did the final kill himself, but he did a lot of the other remasters himself. And it, they're just – they try to solve problems instead of bring out the good. you know. And, and, and really really what, a, what I've learned from mixing our covers is you should be able to bring out the good parts instead of try to hide the bad parts. Mm. And it sounded like he was trying to do that too much. Um, but you also get to hear a lot of – towards the end, towards the breakdown, which we'll get to, you get to hear – more of the vocal stuff that he wanted to do mm-hmm. but the bass just kind of doesn't sit right in the mix to me the guitars kind of sound weird um it just doesn't have the same raw power mm-hmm. as the original version but I've, ne- I've never heard the non-remastered so i it's don't probably know gonna the sound, difference it's probably gonna sound totally terrible to you honestly it's probably got everything to do with whichever one you heard first yeah that's typically how it goes that's how people feel about cover songs too right and which one did you hear first that's the one you typically right. attach to but but you're right this is a riff based song yep. there's like maybe 20 30 riffs in here honestly yeah it's just it made learning the song on bass pretty challenging <sighs> 
Yeah. Both of the songs were tough in different ways. This song was tough in just remembering, navigating through the song because there's just so many parts where you just, you have these runs and licks to where Mm -hmm. you just are trying to remember what part comes next. Mm -hmm. Where with our other one, it's more about just the endurance of actually. Yeah, the stamina. Yeah, the stamina. Especially for that drum part. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll get to that. Some of you. more uh, dedicated Megadeth fans probably already know what it is. Probably. But, um, just judging on the songs we've already done and the fact that none of them are the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I used to think that this song was about like waking up dead from nuclear war. No. Just judging off the album cover, I thought it was like, oh, one day we're all going to wake up dead because like, you know, the Russians nuked us or something. No, it's about him cheating on his fiance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of sad. But also kind of funny if I look back at it. That yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And it's also just the song itself was kind of funny. It is. Like, it's, it's, so, I don't know if he was trying to be funny or if he was trying to make something that sounded sinister. But there's just, even when I did the vocals the way that I did them, there's like a, it's, I kind of overplayed the sinisterness of right. it just to, <laughs> yeah. just to have fun. Mm hmm. It's not meant to as much be the riffs are what you take seriously in this mm-hmm. song. It's almost like I feel like he didn't even want vocals in it. It was just like, well, we're not going to start the album off with an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it just about is anyway. This song does have my favorite moment in any Megadeth song, though. Is it the breakdown? It's the breakdown. Oh, really? Because I don't think that's the greatest moment. I think it's in this song. That godly breakdown. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually first heard this song by watching a live show of theirs because I hadn't listened to Peace Cell's album yet. Okay. And I was actually watching their when they uh, did the Big Four show in Bulgaria. Right. And um, they were doing this song. And I was just like, oh, this is a cool song. Right. And then when it got to that breakdown, I went, no. Oh, my gosh. That's what I thought, this too. This is incredible. That's, that's what I thought, too. But it wasn't that. I don't think that's the moment that's the best. I think it comes about 15 seconds before. The, and, it, and that was the point. When I first heard this song, when I first put it on, I was like kind of on the fence. Like, oh, I still think Metallica is better, but Megadeth is good. You know, I, I wasn't willing to say, like, I like Megadeth better, which really doesn't matter. I like both of them. But – um, when it got to that part when he comes into like the second verse mm-hmm. and it comes back to that main riff, you know, he says, Ooh, I wonder, you know, when he sings that, I was like, this is like Megadeth is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. To me, that's, that's all set up for when that breakdown, like and, just and when it, it comes, set up the breakdown, when it comes down, 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 I mean, right. they could, that breakdown would not have been the way it was if it weren't for that no. moment, but the song could still continue without that breakdown. I think. Oh no, it could not. It would not be near as good, and we'd lose the the, Cause the quote song unquote would, greatest. Because the song Megadeth. would end right there. No, I think that I think the like the song itself would be okay without that breakdown. Yeah, but that's it that breakdown. Still, it, that breakdown. It would still be is on what this list. Puts it up into that top tier of Megadeth songs, and then also that solo that comes in. Right when the breakdown starts mm-hmm. is my favorite Megadeth solo. Really? Like I can hum that along note for note, and just I have to drop whatever I'm doing an air guitar solo through that really? whole thing. Because for me, it's definitely the second Friedman Holy War solo. 
I don't know if it's definitely, but it, that's that's probably the contender right now. But I'm surprised you say that because there's some really good solos during the first part of the song. You know, between yeah. the two verses, there's I, just something I, about just, combined that breakdown, the way that tapping comes in right at the beginning, and then the way the it builds, and... the way that it builds up to that that fast descending trill at the end. It's just to me, it's perfect. And okay. I love that solo so much. I like it too. I can't. I at the time of recording, I haven't heard um, your guitars on this yet. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to hear that part in particular mm-hmm. to see that solo come to life. Well, now now that you've said that, I may want to change what I'm doing there. Were you going to do a different solo? I, I was going to do a different solo. Yeah, I haven't recorded the solos. Yet, I would have so. been heartbroken <laughs> had that solo not been there. Okay. Well, I'm glad okay. I said something. Yeah, I'm glad you said something. So may I, I might actually learn it now, yeah. Um, because up until this point, I've kind of been doing my own solos. So maybe yeah, I'll, you have. Maybe I'll do that. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. But after that solo, we come right back into the I guess what would be the vocals, chorus? The chorus of the song? Kind of the chorus, kind of the finale, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't really think there's a verse chorus. But yeah, sure, the chorus. Um, where they actually say the uh, name of the song for the second time in, yeah. the, in the song. Um, and they're, you know, chanting wake up dead. And then there's the gang vocals of you die and mm-hmm. wake up dead and buried. It's just it's so, it's just so mega death. It's like there's no, no other ab- band could do this. No, no other band could do it and pull it off without it being like corny or, balls. or, like, or too forced. Yeah. Maybe like anthrax because they're just kind of they're just the kind of weird but it, but it still wouldn't have had that but it wouldn't edge have had to it, it wouldn't have had like the is he really this crazy attitude about it uh-huh. you know crazy but, dave yeah. and then of course it 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 ends on him saying wake up dead and just his his vocals trailing off yeah and i think that was a perfect way to end it mm-hmm. i mean a live ending a live beginning it's perfect yeah and um by the end of the third song now in the set we're probably getting a little exhausted yeah this because it's because it's full octane no reprieve from start to finish yeah and this and this is such a those three are such good introduction songs now it's time to get into like the deeper almost side b but still still some of the still some of like the cult favorites i would say our next song sweating bullets is not a cult favorite this is like one of their most well-known songs i don't know i okay okay it's one of the most played songs live well that that doesn't mean it's not a cult favorite it's it's, rush always plays working it's it's their most viewed video on mtv okay never mind never mind this this i always thought it was symphony of destruction Mm mm-hmm Sweating Bullets, that was their big video. Where he's I remember uh, it was it was Symphony of Destruction that got like number two, and and uh, it was Achy Breaky Heart that was always above it. I, yeah, I remember I mean, that because this I mean, was 1992. I mean, Symphony of Destruction is the bigger single, but as far as music video, that's kind of become a legendary Oh, it is a legendary video. music video because of the fact that you have – Dave kind of playing multiple parts. I mean, Hello, me. Yeah. Meet the real me. Yeah, if you've never seen the music video, you definitely need to check it out. It's like, it's funny and also like weird and it's 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 a sight to behold. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. He said that um, he was not in his right mind when he did that video. Really? <laughs> he had fallen off the wagon again by that point. Oh, wow. But um, 
No, this was this is off the countdown to extinction, right? Yeah, so let's kind of talk about that record. Yeah. So this came out after the Black Album came out, and it's really easy to see to that. see that they're also trying to pivot. They're trying to catch that commercial success that Metallica had. Because Dude, they did. They were always in the shadow of them in the underground. Right. Because they were all Metallica was always considered the leaders and the ones most likely to break big. And then when they did break big, then Megadeth was just like, Well, come on guys, we can we can outdo it. Come let's let's make an album full of shorter, simple songs. Right. And it's just not near as good. They're just they're not that kind of band. No. They're not a simple kind of band. Um but it was still a huge record. It's still, I want to say, the biggest record they ever did commercial. No, I think uh, Cryptic Writings actually ended up being like their biggest really? album. That's such a weird one for it to be. No, at that point, they still hadn't crossed the line into being like so commercial it's bad. It's actually a stronger album when you give it another listen. Okay. Risk, that's the one that just destroyed them. Yeah. But... It was a big risk. Yeah. yeah that's actually why they called it Risk. Wow. Because Dave knew that this album was going to be a risk. It was either going to pay big, and they were going to have the biggest commercial success of their lives, or it was going to tank hard, and the band would be in their worst spot ever. And he was right. About? The second one. The second one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but um, Countdown to Extinction is just, it's it's a stripped down, just, you know... And really, they kind of had taken Thrash to its logical conclusion with Rust in Peace. Yeah. Um, it didn't help that just by the time that they were writing the next one, that Thrash had so heavily fallen out of favor. Mm-hmm. Like, they couldn't have made another Thrash album like that, mm-hmm. even if it was great, mm-hmm. because just that it wasn't what was accepted. They had to either go the Pantera new metal route, or they had to try and do what Metallica was doing, and that was a pretty easy decision for them. Uh, it was a pretty easy decision for Dave because mm-hmm. if you can beat Metallica at their own game, that would be his goal at that point. Which I think at that point he had kind of made amends with them. No, I remember there being a he, thing in '89. No, so they did a joint tour around that time, okay. and he was talking about on stage all the time about this whole Megadeth Metallica feud is in the past where it's all about moving forward. But he has said in the past that he didn't truly believe it. Hmm. He wanted to, but he said he still could not bring himself to watch Metallica shows because he would just watch Kirk Hammett the whole time and just go that SOB that should have been me up there. Mm-hmm. I should be making millions of dollars like they are. Instead Mm -hmm. of hundreds of thousands. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, you know, whatever. Whatever, Dave. Yeah. So, you know, yes, publicly it seemed like amends were made. It didn't really, I would say it didn't happen until at least after the Some Kind of Monster documentary. Because that was kind of the moment that he kind of really laid it all out. It definitely was by the Big Four tour. Yes. Because they were hanging out and playing each other's songs and stuff. But Mm -hmm. um, anyway, back to this song, this record. This was the pivot record that I talked about that I didn't really like. I think that this is the best song off the album. Ooh. I mean, it's it's definitely one of the good ones. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of the good ones. Um, I've just always enjoyed this song. I love, again, this is like Wake Up Dead. There's a, there's just a camp 
humor to it that yeah. only Dave Mustaine can get away with, mm-hmm. where it's 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 kind of funny, but at the same time you're kind of intimidated by it. Yeah, it, because it, it, yeah. he he legitimately could be crazy. It's a, there's actually a story about this song that I'm sure you know, right? Remind me if it's the same story. It's the same story as as um as what you're thinking. Is it it's it's not about him. Isn't about like his somebody's sister? Or? Yeah, yeah. I okay. I remember this now. It was someone. It was like his. It was his wife. Now his wife's friend. That was just like completely batty, mm-hmm. and just like had multiple. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that. Now. She had some some mental issues. He had to like go pick her up from the hospital or something, or yeah, because it was just so bad at uh-huh. some point. Yeah, it's it's something along that those lines. And so he's a lot of people think he's singing about himself and his own like struggle. But with I mean, I mental think, illness. I think it really. I think that but that I, the I other serve the is the inspiration, right? But to be that effective at communicating it, you got to pull from yourself. That was that was the catalyst, mm-hmm. right? That event was the catalyst. Yeah. Um so that's why he wrote it when he did. It also has interestingly enough one of our first um instances of where not all the instruments are playing at once. Nope. So uh, during during the verses that like mm-hmm. the the guitars will cut out and it'll just be like the hi-hat and he'll be singing Yep. Which they they get better and better at doing, um, especially if you listen to like something, oh, something that you're not off of. Uh, uh, System has failed. Does the same thing mm-hmm. where the guitars will play con- kind of like a, uh, a cult of personality riff. Yeah. Where they won't be playing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And this is like our first in this set instance of that. It's it's very uh, War Pigs. Yes. It is. It's exactly Warpigs. Just Megadeth's take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was living in New Mexico, um, I was working at a boys and girls club, and mm-hmm. I was in charge of doing all the music lessons, and mm-hmm. I helped organize the talent show. The right. talent show was god awful. Oh no! It was. It was just because the kids just like. I don't think any of them were listening, and I'm not going to say. You know who they were, what they did, but right. it was just like it was. It was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I had a couple of students that I had been personally teaching and training, and so the big finale of the show was that it was me on the drums, um, one of my students on bass, and the other one on guitar, and we just did an instrumental version of "Sweating Bullets." And we cut a couple of parts just to, you know, we only did the da-da-da a couple times and then did the chorus, went straight to the solo. Um, came. So there's a whole solo section, which we have yet to talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, that's, keep, a, that's a great we'll, section. We'll keep, we'll keep going. But And then when it comes out, of and it's the slow down laughing, the sweating, sweating. Oh, we yeah. went straight from that to the last chorus with the, with the triplet, double bass ending. And there's a lot of metalheads in the... In the audience, and, and the they, parents, uh, or they no the the kids. That, oh, the kids! A bunch yeah. of the kids that were into metal. They all like came up to the front of the stage and started moshing and head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was a really fun experience. That was like the first time that I ever got to play a metal song in front of other people with other musicians. And so that was that's nice. That was really cool. That was probably about five years ago. Wow. Yeah, it was five years ago. Twenty fifteen. Wow. 
fact, it might be exactly because it was a, it was probably around. No, it would have been around like September. Of that would be that'd be quite the coincidence. That would be. That would be amazing. Um, it really would be. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the solo section. Yes, real quick. So uh, this has got one of my favorite Nick Menza ooh, grooves. Okay, where he's. <laughs> It's way harder to do than it sounds because he's just he's so good at just keeping it so clean. Like it, it's just like it sounds just like a person's not playing this. It's like a machine, but a machine that knows how to groove. Yeah, that's what I think about when I listen to this album. Mm-hmm. Is it sounds machiney? In some places, it's good, and in some places, it's bad. In this yeah. instance, it's good. Uh huh. Um, th- I actually thought this solo section was just like an extended riffage jam session the mm-hmm. first time i heard it because the solo sounds like it's just a weird riff that's just trying to sound weird yeah you know which it does sound weird it gets the point across of weird it's a great solo but it's a great solo it is a solo so um i, I don't know it's just it doesn't sit right still somehow mm-hmm. to me um, but I've I've learned to hear it kind of the way it was intended, and that's probably just my ears and the way I'm used to Megadeth, and I probably didn't listen to the song in context for the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. Probably could have had many different reasons why, but to me this is one of the Megadeth songs that is, and I say this in the nicest way because I, it's a great song, is overrated. I, I don't think I don't think Sweating Bolts is at the level of like Wake Up Dead no, and Holy it's, Wars it's and, not. and even some of their later stuff. Like I I would even say like a lot of stuff off of United Abominations is even better than this. But I think it's among the best of that era. Of that album? Yeah. Of that era. Of that era? No. There's so many other good songs of that era. Yeah, but I'm I'm not saying there isn't, but I think I, I mean the the album before and the album after is just full of good songs. I don't count Rust in Peace as being part of that era. I'm talking about from style Rust in Peace belongs in the in the first four. In the first four. And and then we have the next four. Four. I think it is one of the best of the next four of that four albums. Okay. I think it's the best off of Countdown to Extinction. Mm, okay. I mean, I I won't debate that because i i can live with that but i think there's a lot of other good contenders yeah i'm not saying there isn't so that's why i'm not i'm not saying it's the best i think it's one of the best one of the best yeah yeah however many that is yes but you've as long as it includes euthanasia plus one yeah i wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't uh i wouldn't rank it like in my top 10 megadeth songs Mm -hmm. but it's still a really fun song. It's one of the ones I enjoy going back to the most. I think this was one of the first songs that, uh, when you actually came over to the garage the first time to play in Area 52, it was like this and Painkiller that like suddenly like we both realized we knew them, <laughs> and, and and we <laughs> I think, like played them. I think them. you're right. Yeah. So that was very that was really interesting. It's just it's such a simple song on guitar that it's like you can't not know it uh-huh. by just listening to it. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the next song. The next song, which is off the next album. Yes, Euthanasia. Euthanasia. Oh, tout le monde. Uh, tout le monde. Um, it's fitting that this is the one right after. Yeah. Because we did just have the same kind of pivot. Mm-hmm. With the, Like you had the same kind of song from that kind of record. And now we're into the 
power era of Megadeth. Yes. Where they're not focused on speed, they're focused on the the emotion mm-hmm. behind everything. Which I think Euthanasia does really well. And and Kiko Luriero, their current guitar player, who is just a god on guitar, um, actually like cited Rust and Peace as being the thing that got him into like Megadeth. And then he listened to Euthanasia as a fan of Megadeth, and then that's what like inspired him as a guitarist. Mm. And so it, it was, in, or, or maybe it was the other way around, or something like that. Maybe maybe Rust in Peace inspired him as a guitarist, and like Meg, and Euthanasia made him a fan. But it's really interesting that he didn't talk about Countdown to Extinction. I keep trying to bash that album, but I'm trying to I'm trying to drive home the point that like Rust in Peace and Euthanasia are both great records in very different ways. Yes, they are. And so if you're the kind of Megadeth fan who loves Rust in Peace, but you've never listened to Euthanasia, I really encourage you to I give do, it a shot. I do 100% believe it's their most underrated album. It definitely is. It's it's the kind of album that I would put on and just listen all the way through until I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, if I were on a long drive and, like, I got kind of towards the end of the album and I'm at my destination, I'll just, like, take a couple laps around the you know, around the mile square or whatever and mm-hmm. pretend I got there late because it's just, it's such a good record. Um, but anyway, this song, A Tout Le Monde. Yes. So I actually got corrected by you about what this song is about. Yes. Was that what inspired and, this episode? No. Uh, I already, I already okay. knew I already knew this was going to happen. I don't, I won't say that I knew that it was going to happen this particular week, but I already, like, I already knew what, songs I was going to do for a Megadeth episode, and I knew I wanted to do one soon. Okay. In fact, I may have at that point already decided for that week. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Um, But, yeah, this is... I used to always think that this was, like, their fade to black. Mm -hmm. Again, them trying to copy Metallica and, you know, have their big, you know... Suicide song. Suicide song. Right. And... I, in my humility, will admit that I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it was, too. I, a lot and of if, people have. If you I, look at the I, lyrics, that's what it sounds like. And so I did my research on it, and I was just like, okay, I get it now. Right. Apparently. It's the, the story, which you actually just did the research, so I'll let you tell the yep, story. He had a dream that he saw his deceased mother. And this was her parting words to him. Mm-hmm. And so that's what inspired the song. Right. And it's got such a beautiful chord progression that's like it's in some kind of Dorian, but it sounds very minor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it the chord structure was well crafted. Like some chords in some places are minor, and other places are major. And the way that it builds, like that last chord for the chorus, is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and this is a really unpopular opinion among Megadeth fans. I know it's going to be unpopular you know, to uh, your ears, because I've told you this before, that they this song reached its um, perfect uh, catharsis on a later record, mm. on the United Abominations record. I really think the United Abominations version is much better. I think with the, with the female voice added in, it adds so much more to the song. And that was the first version I heard. Maybe that's probably part of it. Again, we talked about that earlier yeah i th- i think it it depends on because i was already really invested in the original version and so when you hear it changed it's like it's like a remake yeah. if you see the remake of a movie first 
you're ma- more likely to go, oh, yeah, and then you see the old one just like, oh, that one's dumb. Yeah, This one did grit. it so much better. That's why I like the new version of True Grit better. I haven't seen the original True Grit. So oh, you should definitely have seen any- the new one. I have seen the new one. And it's it's great, right? Yeah, but if you if there, you were used to the that, if you were used to the true the original True Grit, yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, my the thing that I really like about this song it's a it's a cool subversion. Yeah, because think about this being mid nineties, um, the half step up or how whatever it is key change is like used so often in that era of music in all genres Mm -hmm. um and they do do the modulation up for the for the pre-chorus after but the thing that i love is that they modulate back down for the chorus and and they don't keep good yes like i remember when i first heard it i thought oh we're gonna get our half step up chorus here or full step up whatever it is uh, that's what i thought too but then the fact that it goes back down is such a cool subversion where you're just like oh and it works mm-hmm. i think that's my favorite part of the song is when they make really? that change from where you think it's gonna go to a place that's actually better and you go well played mm-hmm. well played sir hmm i i don't know what my favorite part of the song is because my favorite part of the song is on a different record. Mm. But uh, the outro solo but is the also outro, a highlight. But, but the outro harmonic part is probably my favorite part of this version. Mm-hmm. I think Mari Freeman's solo is better than uh, Chris Broderick. Broderick. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. It's just Marty Friedman. I mean, with that kind of picking style, you have to have you have to have a most better people solo. are better than Chris Broderick. Oh, thanks. Wow. Um, I'm glad I'm better than Chris Broderick. Um, I'm kidding. That was a joke. I hope Chris that's, wasn't listening that's to this. That's what the kids call a joke. Okay, no, Chris Broderick. <laughs> I, 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 I think. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Anyway, no, I think I think Chris Broderick's a good guitar player. He like, is. Don't don't get me wrong. I like, would say he's the least. But of the Megadeth guitar players. Which help. doesn't say much because they're all amazing. Yeah, I mean but you've like, got to be a certain level, but I just think he was the least creative with what he did yeah i mean even like the end game solos anyway we're getting into different records that we can talk about on a volume two but um let's talk about the actual lyrical meaning of the foreign language section um do you know i can't remember what it is off the top of my head so a tout le monde a tout mes ami or yeah, I love the I love to overpronounce that little. Yeah, or whatever. Uh, I know what it is. I'm just having trouble recalling to it. To all the world, to all my friends, I love you, but I must go. Yeah, the French version was my senior quote. I think you told me that before. I think I did, but I don't think I actually said it on an episode. But I did now, um, and and. Unsurprisingly, some people thought I was hearkening to my own uh, demise, <laughs> my own self-wrought demise, and I was like, "No, no, 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 no!" I'm just saying, like, because he said that this song was like a song that he points to for like when he dies. Like, if he dies, it's not like, "Oh, I'm sorry for this," or like, "I wish I would have done this," or whatever. It's just, this "I is love my- you, but I gotta go." This was my time. So that that was like that what was mm-hmm. made me write that as my quote because it's yeah. like senior year is over like oh we're all going to different colleges but it's like it's time so um and i think that's a 
good message of yeah. just like things happening in their time and just being okay with it. Megadeth says something positive. Yeah. Well, sometimes they say things negatively I mean, to put down negative things. Well, I mean, as in just like it's it's an uplifting <laughs> message instead of uh, look at all this crap that's going on. And it's got uplifting chord chemistry. Yeah. So we end the song with this really haunting acoustic guitar, I guess like arpeggiated, just back and forth, slowly slowing down more mm-hmm. and more. And... um. I felt like this would be a great way to transition to the grand finale. Yes. Truly the grand to finale. To lull you into a false sense of security before Nick Menza's double bass right. pounding. And 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 we kind of come full circle. Yes, we do. Because we started this six song set with the one two punch of Rust and Peace. And now we end with what was quoted by Dave Mustaine himself as being the finale of that same album. Mm-hmm. And the title song. Yep. Dot, 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 Polaris. Yeah, my creation doesn't count. That's a bonus song. That's, yeah, that didn't count. And I never I never listened to a version with my creation on it. So. I'm The CD that I first listened to off of it had that on there. And I was like, what the heck is he, this? He talks about Dawn Patrol. Dawn Patrol actually comes uh, first. Yep. And it's it's fitting that you put a Tulum on where you did because they kind of serve the same function of being very calm. But Dawn Patrol is very calm in like a haunting way. Yeah. Um, and they they both go to silence. It's not like Dawn Patrol cuts right into Rust in Peace, but mm-hmm. it was supposed to be the introduction for Get Ready, the finale's coming. And this is the finale. We're here. Mm-hmm. Nick Menza, Tom Rolls, and Double Bass. And now intensity. I'm correct in saying now that this is our patron exclusive yes, cover song. This is the patron exclusive. And you guys need to go check it out because yes. I uh, just about gave my whole body in. Yeah. <laughs> Putting down this drum track. Yes, I remember we were actually recording, and then you played through the whole song, and I thought you were still warming up. And you said, "All right, that's the perfect take." Yeah, that's and, right. That's and, the one that I did that on. And, and I forgot to hit record, or I didn't for- forget. I just didn't. And that's why you always there record. was there was like a little bit of heartbrokenness in your yeah, eyes because I wasn't able to do it in one take. After that, I had to kind yeah, of go back. Had, and- we had to kind of. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll also say this. It was one take of the Rust in Peace part, not the Polaris part. Right, because the drums actually cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and though that is an A-B. Yes, right? it so, is. So Rust in Peace is another one of those songs that I just put on repeat. I mean, the, the Holy Wars was a song that I put on repeat. Wake Up Dead. Um, the other version of Le Tout Le Monde. Le Tout Le Monde. A Tout mm-hmm. Le Monde. Tout Le Monde. A Tout Le Monde. Um, this is another song that I just put on repeat, on repeat, as soon as I discovered Megadeth, mm-hmm. because of the fact that that full album, they did the first verse, second verse, solo section, breakdown, final chorus, final breakdown, kind of style, just mixed and matched in different ways. Mm-hmm. They never did a third verse on the whole album until this song. Interesting. And uh, uh, That's what I think. And this was like one of the first songs I've ever heard at that point that was this intense that was so good at introducing a third verse yeah because because we're all expecting there to be a solo section now i mean that's just Mm -hmm. the way it is first verse second verse solo section i think this is one of the most creatively structured songs i've ever done yeah because the song is works and it's a cyclical nature Mm -hmm. you you work linearly linearly through 
the song, and then mm-hmm. it hits Warheads will all rust in peace, and then we boop, go boop, back, boop. and then we, yeah, we go back to the beginning and go through the whole thing again. Right, and so and I was each like, time yeah. it gets a little more intense, a mm-hmm. little more um, sinister, until we get to the last one, and it tricks you out into thinking the song's over, and you're just like, huh. Okay. Yeah. That was an interesting ending. Yeah. And then Polaris comes in, and right. then you're just like, "Oh yeah, here we go." And and throughout the whole song, he sings in that kind of Dave Mustaine way, uh-huh. where it's that intense, weird, almost tremble, like, you weaklings, and cower in he fear. He does. He does that, but he also does his Rust in Peace singing voice, where it's like mm-hmm. that haunted, like tormented like man who's singing about something he's super angry about but he doesn't have good style but it sounds sinister anyway Mm -hmm. and the way that he structured the uh the chorus when he says i spread disease like a dog yeah and and it's just it it sounds like he's just singing whatever comes to his mind Uh uh-huh as if he's like mad at something he's like He's I just spread on, disease he's, like a dog, discharged my payload a mile high, you know? Yeah. It's like he's ranting. He's ranting at you. That was the feeling that I got, and, and that's what made me really challenge myself as to, like, what is vocal rhythm? This was the song that did it. Like, not Tool. Hmm. It was a Megadeth song. Interesting. So that's just an interesting note for me. So anyway, we go through the, the chorus or the verse chorus uh, cyclical structure three, three times. times and then and then it lulls you into that fake oh it's done but then you have the symbol kind of fade in and then that you know this was, this, this was the part that just bass and drums was so took so much yeah. work <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah oh my goodness i still am nervous to hear how the drum track sounds in this last part oh no because i don't well, you recorded it you should remember i know but i can't remember if i did a good enough job on it <laughs> you played bass on it so you would be able to find out yeah i think i remember <laughs> when i did the bass track i didn't but i'm still because i'm gonna have my critical ear when i hear it for the right. first time it's, it's gonna be you who notices the problems and not me yeah. i haven't noticed any problems so that's good um, um but yeah just the the double bass drumming and I had to. I actually had to cheat on the bass. I'm not fully playing what Dave Ellison is playing because he plays with a pick. Yeah, and so he's playing just constant sixteenth notes. I got really good at being able to play sixteenth notes with three fingers, right? Um, and I felt like I was able to get a really meaty sound out of out of those sections because I'm just slapping the heck out of those strings. Um, and so I'm really excited to hear how this whole song sounds. Yeah. Um, I wish I could give you more. I'm I'm got myself on a schedule to where I can kind of talk about our covers during the episode, but yeah. I'm not there yet. Uh huh. You know, I still got other things going on in my life. You know. Yeah, as do I. But uh, that's so, just the way it is. Um, one cool little thing is that Dave Mustaine got the idea for this song after seeing on a bumper sticker, "May your, your warheads rest in peace." Bumper sticker again. Yep. Well, well, it wasn't time, bum- the other time it was a magazine. Yeah. But he's just somewhere, and he sees a slogan, mm-hmm. and he's just like, "Oh, that's a that's, that's a- almost like an Eagles thing, isn't it?" Well, for the life in the fast, yeah, lane. life and lionize, <laughs> and yeah, just yeah. it's just it's just indicative of great songwriters. the The truly great ones can get inspiration from anything, right? And they're always observant. Yeah, they're they're always kind of mindful about paying attention to what's around them right. and going, "Oh, I can make that into a song." 
I think that all the time, and then I never do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do I. I remember, though, for me, I'll hear something that was just like, that sounds like a great album title or a great band name. Yeah. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, in my opinion, the best way to end the set. I think that you've got something that's big, it's grand, it's cinematic, it's large in scope in a way that none of the other Megadeth songs are. Mm-hmm. It feels like the whole set builds up, especially to that Polaris insanity at the end. Yeah, which is the true finale, the true logical conclusion it's almost, of everything before It's it. almost like it's a boss battle in music form where yeah. you've got you've got the you've got the main the first form of the boss that you're fighting throughout the first and then you think you've and won. You, you like get it down to two hearts and then it like suddenly uber heals and it becomes massive and uh-huh. now you have to like fight it in its final form. Yeah, and, yeah. I know tem- you're talking about. The tempo goes up. The, the tempo the, goes up the, to about a thousand. The technicality is way up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just... And in this whole song, I will note, it's very rare that a Megadeth song does not have a single solo. It does at the beginning of the Polaris. That's a lead are, line. No, talk, it's talk not. About, they talk about that as a lead line. It's not though. Like he does. It's a really short solo, but that is a shred solo at the beginning. I'm not talking about um, after the drum solo at the beginning. I'm talking, talking about the main riff. No, I'm talking about after the eradication of the Polaris before it gets into the. Are you talking about? There's a short little like ten second solo, and it is a solo. I'll play it for you after we take a break. Here. Okay, because I'm not hearing it, but but it, at the very least, there's not an extended solo. No, and all of all of the times I've heard this song, I'm like, oh, that's just a lead line mm-hmm. or or whatever. We'll clear this up off air. We definitely will. We'll have to, but um, no, I think I think this was. You probably could not have constructed a better uh, Megadeth introduction set. Oh yes, because because the first three songs are just the one-two punch from Rust in Peace. That's like everybody's first Megadeth record in one form or another. Mm-hmm. And then of course the logical conclusion is to go listen to Peace Cells, which starts with Wake Up Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, which really ropes you in. And then uh, Sweating Bullets is that other half. Atulamon, just kind of that um, weird side of Megadeth that's still really good. And you mm-hmm. gotta give credence to that. We're looking at the full picture, and then, and then bring it full circle. Yep, I think this was a great set. So I'm excited for the listeners to listen to the set. Yes, and also I'm gonna go ahead and say what everyone's gonna be thinking, where they're gonna be asking, "Where's Peace Cells?" Because it's I, I, arguably their most really? iconic song. No, I, I didn't think it was lacking. But that's the thing. I, I put it in such a way that I felt like it didn't fit. It wasn't mm-hmm. needed. No, it wasn't. But I can definitely see some people being like, but that's their biggest song. I mean, it's... Peace Cells could have been... It could have been in the third... Could have been the finale, but... It could have been... If you start with Holy Wars, you have to end up My Christmas. Where I would have put it is in the number three spot after Hangar 18. Oh, that, that would have been a crime to get rid of Wake Up Dead. But then it was just like, but Wake Up Dead just fits so much better here. It fits here. so much better. And so I just, I got to go with what serves the set. That's why, again, I don't pick the six most popular songs. Because then I would have had to put Peace Cells in there. But if you want your extra uh, bonus points um, listening, you can listen to Peace Cells. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And uh, we'll definitely feature it in a future episode. Yes. There's no way Hopefully we don't. Hopefully we'll feature my favorite Megadeth record in a future episode. Yeah, we will. Okay, good. We will. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so at this point, we'll go ahead and take another break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the bonus song and our final thoughts. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Megadeth and talking about the six songs from this episode. Just to recap, those songs were Holy Wars, The Punishment Due, Hangar 18, Wake Up Dead, Sweating Bullets, A Tudelamon, and Rust in Peace, Polaris. Yes. Now it's time to talk about the bonus song. Okay. So for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, Grant, explain what a bonus song is. So a bonus song is a song from an artist who is somehow related to our main artist, but for whatever reason, we just are not going to give them their own episode, but we still want to talk about their music because it's still good, and this is the Good Music Podcast. So um, it's also part of the same playlist that you can find a link to a the Spotify playlist in the description. So it's right after those songs, so it's super easy to find. And this bonus song this week is from Marty Friedman's solo career mm-hmm. before Megadeth. Yes. And this song is called Dragon Mistress. Mm-hmm. Which is such a Marty Friedman it, it song is. title. I, I actually, before this podcast, I hadn't listened to this song specifically, but I had mm-hmm. listened to some of his solo career, and it never really reached out to me. Yeah. Except this song. Like, I'm surprised I didn't find this song. There was, like, some song about, like, the Cities of Gold or something that was, like, eight mm-hmm. minutes, and it just, it didn't... He is not a metal player at heart. He isn't. And he's expressed that before, mm-hmm. and it's the reason why he left Megadeth. The way he described it is that when you're in Megadeth, the only color you can use is gunmetal gray, but I have a whole palette of colors that I need to use, and I can't use them. Right. And That's so. weird that he left and not just created a side project. I just think he, overall he was just unsatisfied with the songs that Dave was writing, huh. and especially because it might have been more interesting when it was technical thrash, but now that they're writing middle-of-the-road hard rock yeah. songs, I can imagine just being like, what am I doing? Yeah. But he gets to show off a lot of those colors in this song. It's it's kind of a repeating chord progression riff uh, centered mm-hmm. thing. There's like a million guitars in it, but it has kind of the Neil Peart work in threes kind of idea yeah. where he introduces the main theme to the song um, and then he'll play kind of a variation after that and then he'll just go crazy on the last one. I really like this song. He showed off. Yeah. And and I, I won't quiz you on the history of this because I'm pretty sure I know this, but... <laughs> Let's see what um, you've learned. When when, um, when Dave had said he was looking for um, – the band was looking for a guitar player for a while at that point. And they're, they're, he had had Marty Friedman's um, demo for a while, and he was looking at the cover, and he's like, man, his hair just looks ugly. I'm not going to listen to this, which is the stupidest reason to not listen to but somebody's so demo. Yeah, but it is. Um, and he was talking about how like his hair was like three different colors or something, and if you look at the record, it's like – Clearly, his hair's brown and not anything else. <laughs> but um, anyway, he just had it sitting on the mixing board or the mixing console or whatever, never stuck it into a CD player and listened to it. Um, and they were just going through guitar player after guitar player after guitar player, and they finally just ran out. And he finally got to this point where he's like, you know, I'm just going to give this guitar player like a chance. So he puts it in, and he was like, wait, this guy wants to play with us? 
And then he like he called him up as soon as he could, and they came over. And the song that he auditioned for was "Wake Up Dead." Mm. Yeah, so um, that was very interesting. You can see the video of him like playing "Wake Up Dead." They have the video camera like right on him, mm-hmm. and it's totally Marty Friedman where he's just like a bunch of hair in his face, and he's just like moving back and forth, and his picking style is just completely bonkers. But he doesn't miss a note. He's such a good rhythm guitar player. He actually doesn't play, I think, any, maybe one of the solos. He doesn't play Chris Poland's solo, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, it, it's it's just kind of surreal to see that. Yeah. You know? I haven't seen that to video. See, to see that video. It's just, it's somewhere on YouTube. But um, anyway, that's, that's the story of how he came to the band. It was from this record. Mm-hmm. So... I'm I'm glad that you put this as our bonus song. Yeah, I I was really trying to figure out what bonus song I wanted to do. Right. And I was can't I, can't do power trip. No. So I guess you could. Uh, I was just like I don't <laughs> want to just do another thrash band. Right. Um. And I was like, well, let's let's see Marty. I know Marty Freeman's got a huge solo career, mm-hmm. so I was just kind of like researching like what's the best one, and all of them were saying that Dragon Mistress is the best one. So I was just like, okay, let me give it a listen. And I heard, and I was just like, immediately, I was just like, that's the one, that's the one we're yeah. doing. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's really interesting that you say he's not a metal player, but the guitar tone on this is yeah. pretty metal. Yeah, a lot of the stuff he's done afterwards is not metal. But yet, because hmm. he's like a big deal in Japan. That's like where he lives, that's where he does mm. all his recording. He's got his own amp he's, line. He's kind of become like this cult guitar icon over there. Mm-hmm. Right? He's kind of a cult guitar icon here, just not as much. He I mean, has he has his own equipment line. Uh-huh. Um, people people buy his custom amps and custom whatever. Um, but that, that doesn't surprise me. A lot of those really kind of melodic heavy guys, you know, like Dragon Force, I think is big in the Far East. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. Oh, yeah. Japan loves their heavy metal. Yeah. It's and and the, South America, too. Yeah. So. It's one of the few places where it's, like, a huge deal. So, all right. I think we can go ahead and get into final thoughts. So, okay, this is a bit of a different one for you because this is one of your all-time favorite right. bands. So, we're not going to be asking, like, so what do you think of this band, sir? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I really can't kind of be an advocate for the, the new listeners who are new to Megadeth. Um, but... I mean, I, I can say, like, give Megadeth a try. Like, if you've heard from, you know, like, your other metal friends that, like, Metallica's better, or, like, this band's better, or whatever, just give just give them a try. You know, you have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and only good music to gain. They're a great band. I can't say that from this talk my appreciation has gone up, because my appreciation's already, like, sky high for them. Yeah. Such good musicians, such good songwriters, and Dave Mustaine, just as a person to me, has been an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the very least, my appreciation didn't lower. That's good. <laughs> I don't, it would be, if it went anywhere else, it probably would be lower. I don't think I can have more appreciation for them unless they like fundamentally changed like who they were and they were suddenly able to like wield Mjolnir, you know, <laughs> that would be the only way. Um, but yeah, no, anyway. Your final thoughts, because you did a lot of research. Yes, I've done a lot of research on them before. Um, Where my appreciation went up is through the process of recording the cover songs. I've always known that Megadeth is hard to play. It's technical. It's fast. 
Um, Spider cords, yeah. But specifically with the bass parts, like I really felt like I truly realized how great of a bass player David Ellefson is. And obviously I love Nick Menza so much, but like the pressure of nailing his parts correctly in recording just was just made me just really appreciate it. Just like he was so good. He was such a good drummer. I'm so sad that he died in such a tragic way, literally on stage on the kit. And, um, I just think that from a compositional standpoint, my appreciation in them has grown. I have discovered some more of their music that I hadn't really listened to before mm-hmm. that I like, particularly getting a new appreciation for euthanasia. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, as far as just like, you know, I don't think my appreciation has necessarily gone up because kind of like you, it's already really high. Yeah. But I would say from in those instances, yes. It's been a really fun process getting ready for this episode, and Mm -hmm. there's some new things that I've walked away with. Mm -hmm. I I will say that even though I may have bashed the fourth and fifth song of this set, I still listen to all of them. Yeah, you know, they're all great songs. They're all great. It's it's easy to find bad Megadeth. You just have to look at the late '90s, but it's hard to find it in the early 2010s. Yeah, but it, it's it's hard to find it during these eras. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's some, there's just some Megadeth albums. You know, Peace Sells, Rust in Peace, and Euthanasia. That's just it's hard to find a bad song on those mm-hmm. records. Um, so I mean, I just once again, I'm not really speaking from the perspective of a new listener. So I just have to say, like, those are three records to try. Yeah, give it a shot. What do you got to lose? Yeah, but, but some time. All so, right. Well. That does it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening once again. Please hit the subscribe button on um, whatever platform it is that you are listening on. Uh, Make sure to leave us a comment. Let us know what artists you want us to talk about in the future. Go check out our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram. We've got all kinds of discussions going on over there. And um, also, if you want to become a patron... You'll be able to not only get access to episodes early, but you will also be able to listen to bonus cover songs. And that's going to be, we're going to have one of those every week. So you better make it worth our while so we're putting all this time into another song. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, But no, we we do it all for you guys. So we want to make it worth your while. And um, make sure to go listen to the songs. The uh, link to get to the Spotify playlist is in the episode description. And we'll have a new episode next week, 9 a.m. Central. And it's going to be the first episode in our History of Music series. It'll be exciting. Yes. So go check that out. And we're going to have some Queen cover songs available for you guys next week. Um, in replacement for what would have been there. Some personal favorites of yours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I know you handpicked all those. Oh, yes, I did. That was a hard <laughs> list to make. Yeah. Because it's like, which ones do I choose? Um, so, I think that that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs>